Welcome to year two of the Triple Takeover Toycast, the podcast about vintage and modern Transformers, as well as other toy lines from the 80s and 90s. Episode 27 is about Transformers toys that have always worn their masks outdoors, as well as those who wear their sunglasses at night. My co-hosts have returned for a second year of bots and bants, namely the baby-faced northerner with stars in his light-piped eyes. It's Liam from Toybox Soapbox. Midlands! <laughs> Alongside him, we've got the chap with the sculpted features and many faces he leaves in the box. It's Sixo from Sixo. Hats in the box, isn't it? Oh, I suppose they do have some faces in the box. I'll, hats uh, in the bag. Hats in the bag. <laughs> faces in the box. Yeah, in that order, maybe. And I'm Maz from TF Square One. Join us as we articulate our jaws on helmets, battle masks, visors, smirks and cyclopes that have turned our heads and caught our eyes. That's right. Tonight, it's all about Transformers head sculpts. What's shaking, lad? Other than this fortress. This is that quiet bit you're on about. <laughs> <laughs> didn't i tell you that's it, that's it. <laughs> We're not, man no the thing yeah. is once you write one of these intros and then you finish the intro and it feels a bit like a mic drop moment that's almost figuratively and literally what happens the mic drops and i've, I've yeah. got nothing else to say that that yeah, was right. me <laughs> you know that's that's my contribution you guys take it over all right all right i'll i'll, I'll follow up you can edit in other than this fortress because that's funny. But, oh, I was uh, going to leave this in because this is funny already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was also going to leave that in until you said, "All right, listeners, right, it's again. staying, it's staying. We're still here." Yeah. So after one year of this, we still haven't figured out how to start an episode. Uh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Maybe just start with hello for next time. Anyway, how are you, Mez? All right. I'm not too bad, thank you very much. What's going on? What's happening in Groove Town? Do you know? Um, Having got to the end of one year of this podcast, that's 26 episodes, and we finally culminated with RID and Car Robots last time, followed up with a nice spy change of minisode. I was looking again at that awful wants list that I've created, purely out of a result of these episodes. And I don't know what is more frightening, the fact that if I were to buy everything on that list, the amount of extra stuff that would have come into my home, or the ones that I've ticked off in green on the spreadsheet, that have invaded my home. And the worst thing is, now that we're doing the podcast and focusing on the areas of Transformers we really like and going back and correcting mistakes where we've sold things and finally buying grails, I can't turn around and sell anything now to make money back because I don't have anything that falls into that category anymore. Everything I've bought, I really wanted, sometimes for years. I'm stuck with it now. I do kind of know what you mean, because uh, I think as I alluded to on a previous episode, uh, if anything, I've kind of got into that realm where there is stuff that I have previously sold to make some cash back or make some space or whatever. And now that's fallen back into the category of stuff that I really want. So, you know, like I'm kind of like genuinely one or two bits of, sort of sitting here thinking, yeah, maybe I could track that down again. And that's just absolutely the opposite of where I had planned to be <laughs> in that respect. Yeah. All as a right. result of this podcast. Yeah, I've had the same problem where um, I've been trying to sell stuff. And because I've been selling stuff over years, I thinned my collection down now to everything that I've got. It's the stuff, you know, I really want. But the thing is, the next step is if you find yourself needing to sell more toys, you then get into that point where you have to start basically cutting off limbs. Yeah. You think, okay, if I say goodbye to this, I'm saying goodbye to it. And I've got to make that decision of what I want to let go of the least or what I want to keep the most. And I thought you go through phases of thinking, oh, I've done this multiple times. You think it gets easier. But I almost think that having gone through a year of picking up toys that we've enabled each other on, I'd almost be making a complete mockery of my own collecting if I ended up selling some of the stuff I've bought in the last year now. Yeah, no, definitely. So I'll see if you can hang on to it for a bit longer. And uh... I think it's okay. It just it means I can't buy more, which maybe isn't a bad thing, because normally it's always been sell a bunch of stuff to buy a bunch of stuff. But now it's just like, 
don't buy anything for a month or two. And then when you can buy the next thing on your list that you really wanted, a list that has recently had Brave Sodding Maximus added to it. Indeed. Lucky draw one as well. Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, are you backtracking on that now? I got some price quotes recently of what I, people I have paid recently. I thought, I ah, sent you on. one. I sent you one of them, didn't I? The one that, bit. And- the sword was like the cheapest thing. <laughs> that was almost worth considering. But the other thing, the accessories in the multiple oh, thousands, I was like, nah. I tried to think. I nearly fell off my chair at the sword, I'll be honest. I was like, yeah, yeah. oof. Any, any thought I would have ever had about thinking that that was a good idea went straight out the window, honestly. Yeah. That was like a cold, hard dose of reality right there. Yes, a reminder of the sphere in which you collect. <laughs> or rather, the sphere in which you don't. That's the thing. It's, there's always another echelon, isn't there? There's always yeah. another tier that is like, you know, just over the hill or whatever. And that that sort of stuff, lucky draw stuff, typically is mm. just is it isn't it really that's like the you know if you're going to get into that the world, final frontier yeah that's the thing it's almost like you could sort of not really imagine owning like one lucky draw piece because that in itself is is excessive but then the idea that there are people out there that own several or many of these things or actually make a point of owning potentially as many of them as they can that is just i don't know how you get i don't know how you do that really See, I love getting to experience this via you guys because that sort of stuff, like the difficult and obscure stuff, like that doesn't really hold much interest for me. But I love like your guys' excitement about stuff like and being involved in it. It's like, oh, it's so good, and getting to enjoy it that way. I, I don't know if anything we get I've gotten recently counts towards that. I mean, it's, I think I've just been buying purely production stuff for some time. Even yeah. the stuff that I got, which counts as um, being pre-production because it has been featured maybe on a box or something like this, a special item. It's still a production item. It's just it's yeah. been used for pre-production photography. Or that's the majority of what I bought recently is just production stuff. I'm not six so you know. What do you mean you're not? I don't have all of that kind of stuff. He's just saying it doesn't six have. So is luck. the Lord of Transformers, isn't he? he is. Right. He's saying he doesn't have Lucky Draw stuff. I, I guess he doesn't own a reissued Lucky Draw Black Tracks. Then yeah, I guess. I just... do have that actually. I do have. I do have Black Tracks. That's right. That's my one. I think so. Yeah. Maybe there you go. Maybe I am that that. So. <laughs> saying that i'm not but uh turns out i am but black tracks is like entry level lucky draw really isn't it it's, you know i was wondering if you would use that phrase that's been going through my head no i'm not gonna go on air as calling black tracks entry level it is though really that's like you i don't know that's like everyday lucky draw that's that's easy lucky draw i think the most entry level lucky draw are those gold animated megatron and prime those right. are still very affordable and i've, yeah, I've yeah, had yeah. those two figures and they were reasonably affordable Really nice too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's, then there's there's like there's a whole upper tier of stuff, isn't there? And then there's the stuff that you see once upon a moon in a generations magazine. Like they show you a picture of it, and you're like, oh, that's what it looks like. Like right. I've never even seen a photo of it before. There's that stuff, and then you get into the realm of like the Binal Tech Meister, you know, the one yes. that was th- th- that kind of thing that you're just like. Pfft. And then there's prototypes of things from forty years ago, yeah. and you know like Unicron prototypes and things like that. Well, and, at least you've got something to keep you busy for the next 40 years. Well, right, this is it. Yeah, yeah. Can't can't wait. I'll have the finest lucky draw collection in the retirement home. This is one of the great things about this podcast is whenever Sixo says, I haven't got this, we can always follow up with yet. Because, <laughs> you know, it's nothing's off the table with you. Even that single Binal Tech Jazz, that one that was made, it's a pink one, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even uh, yeah. that, it doesn't feel like it's completely beyond Sixo's reach. That's it's just, definitely beyond my reach. Absolutely, 100%. But you wouldn't be surprised. I don't think any of us would be surprised (laughs) if you did someday get it. I would. No. I would. 
Why are you nodding along with that for, Maz, honestly? What a, you expect me to get it? No, I'm expecting you to disagree with him about me. I don't it. disagree with him. Yeah. I oh, literally man. think anything I link you to now, and might and I might use the phrase like oh, "it's a bit," you know, you might you might just win it because you tend to win everything I link you to. Nah, not everything. Did you get those clear spy changes today? By the way, maybe. Yes. <laughs> All right. Another maybe. tick in the box. Yep. Well, that might be the end of car robots for me. Nah. Other than, I suppose, you know, sort of what you would consider retail car robots, other than your your black fire convoys and things like that. Black God Magnus. Lucky Draw Brave Max. Lucky Draw Brave Max. Yeah. yeah. Other than that stuff, yeah, it's the end of the kind of retail-ish stuff, which is quite nice. For now. For now. Speaking of retail, our sponsors. You should say a big shout out to tfsource.com who sponsor us, all of our main episodes. That's tfsource.com for your transformers and third-party needs. And we'll be having a look at their site later in the episode. And also Gear for Geeks, who are UK-based. Uh, that's gearforgeeks.co.uk. And of course, they have transformers, mask, turtles, even diaclone and microchange, test shots. And they have a really awesome used section, pre-owned transformers. The kind of place where you can see an animated retail toy, a vintage pre-Transformers minibot, and, I don't know, something that came out last week, but also an R.I.D. Magnus for £17. Anyone check to see if they're still there? We can come on to that later, I think. They are. I've, I've just looked at them now. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thank you to both of them, and we will come back to those with dedicated segments in the middle of the episode. Sixo, uh, do you want to tell our listeners about Patreon? I, I would absolutely love to. So we do have a, a Patreon, which is uh, www.patreon.com forward slash triple takeover. And on there, you will find all kinds of wonderful benefits, such as early access to episodes such as this. You will also get outtakes. Uh, sometimes they're very, very funny. And sometimes they're very, very funny. And they're about, I don't know, Maz's toilet or something like that. Uh, what else do you get? Well, you get mini-sodes. That's the main thing. So every week that we don't release a main episode, which is every other week, we do a mini-sode instead. So as Maz already mentioned, just this last week, we've done a mini-sode on spy changes, or as I learned from, from you, apparently the, the French is spichangers. Les spichangers. Yeah, which I haven't been able to get out of my head. Uh, I do actually speak a bit of French. I've never heard that one, but... Uh, they, totally fabricated, go. but it works. Right. Sounds like a mask pilot, doesn't it? One of the characters from Mask. It does. Jacques Lafleur. Yes. Spichangé. <laughs> yes. I don't, is it a good thing if it sounds like the mask? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. oh. Please refer to episode twenty-four. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. Uh, but yeah. So we have uh, we have that. So yeah, you can catch the episode on Spy Changes on there now. And uh, what are we up to now? I think we're on Minisode. That was Minisode seventeen. Seventeen, wasn't it? So seventeen Minisodes, and they vary from sort of like half an hour up to some of them well over an hour. Right. So it it just kind of varies a little bit. So we call them Minisodes. Sometimes they're just like regular episodes, actually. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, check that out now. Patreon.com forward slash triple takeover for all of that good stuff. And then we've also got our Redbubble store, which is packed full of merch. And recently we added our anniversary merch to it. So all of the covers with the excellent artwork created by Sixo, featuring photography from all of us in a beautiful collage. You can get that on all sorts of things, stationery, leggings, bags, phone cases. And that is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash triple takeover forward slash explore. Before we start, I'd just like to say a big thank you to everyone who's left me really nice messages and stuff about my grandma, because while she may have heard me talk about her a lot on this podcast, she passed away recently, and it's been a, a, a hard few weeks, And um, but it's been nice remembering the good times, and 
this hobby, this whole podcast probably wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for her. My interest in Transformers wouldn't be like this. We'd have no six host butlers. We'd not all be here joking about how old Maz is. I wouldn't be <laughs> sat here spending far too much money on toys that I didn't know I wanted before. But she's had a big impact. And I just want to thank everyone who's left me messages on Twitter because I, I know they're there. I just haven't been able to bring myself to look at them. So I'm not being rude and ignoring it. It just, it's very real and very raw. But I'd just like to say thank you to everyone and to my grandma, really, for for all of this, because it wouldn't have been possible without her. Here, here. Here, here, indeed. And thank indeed. you to you guys for being lovely guys. Well, thank you for sharing that as well, Liam. That's uh, really quite special. So. I wanted to have, I feel like I should have had a proper speech, and I've been actually thinking about it for ages, but I just haven't thought of anything that would do it justice. But I just want to acknowledge it now. And just yeah, say of course, it's, it's a difficult yeah. one, isn't it? So. I will maybe just correct you on one thing that I, I never joke about how old Maz is. It's a very serious subject, actually. <laughs> Can I just say how mortified I am that that has found its way into such a touching segment on the show? <laughs> well, we're all feeling it, aren't we? We're all feeling old. No one feels it more than me. No one feels my age more than me. I was going to say, you're certainly a bit touchy about it. Right, moving on. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Just wanted to just of course, mate. That and, and well-deserved. Absolutely well deserved. Obviously, we didn't know her very well at all, but just the stories on this podcast, people have referred to her as the fourth member of the podcast. Yeah. She's almost a founding member of the podcast. I would have loved to have explained what a podcast was to her yeah. because it was hard enough explaining how DVDs worked. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to explain it. It's like the radio, but no, it would have been, can I tune it in after JMAM? Like, no. <laughs> but I really hope those comments on Twitter that when you do eventually get around to reading them bring you the comfort and I hope this podcast is anywhere remotely a suitable tribute to her because she is certainly someone who deserves that sort of tribute and to be immortalized in this way. Yeah, uh, myself and my family really appreciate it. So thank you. So this week we are talking about head sculpts on Transformers. And if this was already a niche hobby, occasionally about niche toy lines, we are now talking about a niche body part on a niche toy line within a niche hobby. So first of all, we're going to look at what makes a great head sculpt and uh, why it's important. Well, what makes a great head sculpt? Well, it's, I th- you know, it's a really difficult one. I was thinking about this beforehand. I think it's, uh, it's kind of individual, the different toys, isn't it? But actually, I, I was going to say, I don't think it's that niche a topic, only because for me, it's the real embodiment of the character, actually, a lot of times. Like, if anything, you can have a fantastic toy, amazing design overall, fantastic transformation, looks brilliant. But if the head sculpt is off, it just kills it in for me anyway like that's just me um like i was looking at that um third party raiden that's doing the rounds at the moment earlier and i love it i really love the design everything but just the nose is just off i don't know there's something about the face that just doesn't work as well for me and it's um it's a killer and uh i still like the look of it but it's hard to get over a bad face sculpt so i think it's just something about it that really kind of embodies the character and just kind of communicates to you the the personality of the toy that you're holding well, I think I should explain that I don't mean head sculpts are important, but I just figured that by year two, we probably still had quite a few topics to cover before right. we started talking about specific body parts of Transformers. But yes, it's character, it's identity. It'll be knees next. Yeah. It's a connection, isn't it? You can make a connection with a toy based on what you see in its face because it's it's a humanization of alien robots and toys and inanimate objects because we've seen them in their animated form. And that's, that's one of the connections. I mean, that's where the camera will focus most of its time in a cartoon is on the robot's face doing yeah, the talking. So that's 100%. where we make a lot of our connection. 
Well, and, and in toy photography, it's the bit that you always want, or 99% of the time you want in focus, particularly for mm. where you're kind of varying the focus of what you do and things like that a bit. Typically speaking, it's the face that you want in focus. It's, it is probably, in some ways, one of the most defining parts and important parts of any toy. I mean, I, it's a different thing, of course, but, you know, I was looking, it was a, the other day, a couple of people sharing pictures of um, a new, I don't know what it is, is it Hot Toys or something, the Scarlet Witch figure that's doing the rounds i'm not sure if it's hot toys actually maybe something like that and uh you know picking up on the face sculpt and how close it looks to elizabeth olsen and you know the, the facial expression that the, the figure is pulling is a little bit weird um you know and all of that and it, and it clearly just throws it all off and actually the toy overall looks pretty good do you know what i mean but it's the fact that if the face is off it's just not quite right but i think even though it's robots you still have that element of it with transformers there's still that kind of i don't know slight uncanny valley that you get sometimes if the face sculpt's not quite right it's also how you, when you first meet people, isn't it? You see anyone, you look at their face. That's how you interact with people in general. So it's, that's how you would look at a toy. When they've got human proportion, you would automatically look at their face to get a sense of who they are. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. That's true. Yeah. So many of these face sculpts, that's where they convey so much of the personality from these toys as well. It comes from those face sculpts. So is that how we would answer that question then? What makes a good face sculpt is it's recognisable, it has character, and it allows you to have a connection with the toy? Uh, I guess so. I was going to say because... I guess you could say, oh, it's got to be a bit distinct or have a bit of personality to it. But there are some very generic face sculpts out there as well, which also work very nicely right. for what they do. So it doesn't have to be something too extreme. It doesn't like some of the Beast Wars faces are really, really, really out of town in terms of what they do. You know, the facial expressions, the design of them, they're asymmetric. They really push the boat out. But I don't think it has to always be like that. Like I'm thinking some of my favorite G1 head sculpts are quite generic actually in a funny way stuff like land cross and things like that are really nice but they're not immediately distinct just a moment if anyone is uh, playing along with triple takeover 60 bingo in case you missed it you've already had third party beast wars and japanese exclusive so make sure you mark those on your card and don't forget to shout out bingo when you have the whole set right did they not shout house or like a Fortnite base mode or something like that <laughs> do continue Unbelievable. I was I was about to mention Galaxy Shuttle, actually, believe it or not. But, uh, <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. Or, or Lucky Draw or something. <laughs> Only because, right, like, if you look at Galaxy Shuttle, that head is, to me, one of the classic G1 heads. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's beautiful, beautiful yes. head sculpt, but there's nothing really remarkable about it. Like, if you sketched it without the body, just the head, would you know who it was? How many people on social media would go, that's Galaxy Shuttle? Probably not all that many, actually. But still, I look at the toy, and I every time I think that is a belter. So it's I don't awesome, yeah. think it has to be super, super distinctive as such. I just think that in that case, it's the, the sculpt is really clean. The design of it is really nice. It's visually appealing. Uh, it's easy to read. Uh, so I think all some of those things are important as well. Uh, but what I do quite like in, in Transformers is the, the the complete array of head sculpts that you get as well. So I don't I think it's really hard to quantify what it is that makes a good head sculpt as such, just because they can be so different. I think Hose Head falls into the same category as Galaxy Shuttle. It's just that generic, classic G1 handsome look, which maybe you wouldn't recognize without the, the body and the helmet for the like the junior headmaster style thing if you just saw the face you'd be like that's really nice but it could be anybody really and then at the other end of the scale though, you have characters like shockwave they have such distinct and unique faces like in any kind of facial features but you still gravitate to that on the toy and you still it still conveys personality and i think that's such a part of a head sculpt is no matter what it looks like is that 
you get a sense of something from it because you mentioned the trade bots, the third party ones, and I was thinking of the um, open and play. Remember they did a Springer. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. And the face, it wasn't that it didn't yeah. look like Springer. It just looked awkward. And no matter how you looked at that, toy, everyone so other part looked amazing. Right. But you were so just taken with that face, like you couldn't look at anything else. Yeah, that was like the ultimate example, wasn't it? I remember yeah. everybody, like literally everybody loved that toy in terms, well, not I'm sure not everybody, but like, you know, in terms of the design of it, the finish was a little bit lacking, but generally speaking, the design was super cool, but nobody could get over the face, man. Everybody yeah. was like, what have they done? It's the same with that fans toys perceptor as well, wasn't it? Like, it, right. you know, generally... Yeah, it had its own faults, but the face was the really the thing that kind of killed it and just makes such a difference. It does. And you can see the extreme lengths people go to with toys to change that. Like you had there people fudging in faceplates from other toys, weren't they? They were taking yeah. faceplates off uh, Masterpiece Inferno and Grapple and stuff like that. You know, people uh, tinker with toys a lot, but it's always the face. People go that extra mile, like a third party head replacement and stuff like that. It's, sort of, it's a really important part of a toy, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I think so. I think it's the, it's ultimately the bit that kind of helps you identify yeah. with that toy in a funny kind of way, isn't it? It's the bit that really makes or breaks it. Like, yeah. it's funny to me that you can have uh, a 98, 99% perfect toy, but if the face is off, nah, it doesn't work. You know, it's it, you can't get on with it that well. It's just bizarre. But the opposite is true as well, isn't it? If you have a toy that owns a fantastic head sculpt, like a legitimate classic, uh, you can forgive it quite a lot of other things, proportions, simplicity, transformation, because when you're sitting looking at it in robot mode, it's a pleasure and you enjoy that face sculpt as it's probably the most recognizable part of a of its look and aesthetic in robot mode, which is how probably 99% of the fandom display their Transformers. Uh, you can forgive it virtually everything else because it has such a fantastic head sculpt. I'm just trying to think of an example of one now, but I mean, there must be quite a lot in later year G1, which which would fall into that category. A uh, good face sculpt pulls everything together, doesn't it? No matter mm. how anything else looks. A bad face sculpt just destroys everything else, no matter how good the rest of the toy is. All you can see is that face. It's like the star on top of a Christmas tree, isn't it? You look at the tree and it's great, but your eyes always look at what the star is. It's yeah. the most recognisable part. I'm amazed we've got this far in, Liam, and you haven't mentioned G1 Blur yet. <laughs> oh, it's coming. I'm, I'm sure it ready. is. I'm sure it is. He sat right next to me, funnily enough. This is what made me think of him. So just with that old face sculpt, but... Uh, you're absolutely right it is it is like the cherry on top isn't it and it's um i don't know but to the same token if it's not there it's it's like a real problem like if it doesn't um kind of equate with how you want it to look or whatever uh i don't know about you but i always remember as well when i was little the head and the face being the bit that i always enjoyed revealing through the first transformation and we've talked i think we've mentioned previously that i think all of us have a bit of a, a thing about transformations that start in vehicle mode or alternate mode because that was you know typically how a lot of stuff was packaged back in the day most like 99 percent of stuff anyway and uh, these days obviously it varies a little bit but i still prefer toys that come in alternate mode just because even if you've seen pictures of it online or whatever there's something about that reveal of that face sculpt for the first time in hand that is just wonderful if it's a good one Mm -hmm. and uh, i i remember as a kid just like transforming toys getting to the bit where the face comes out and just being like, oh, wow, so that's what it looks like. I guess because you you wouldn't have been as familiar with it back then. You know, you wouldn't have necessarily known what the heads looked like. It just always struck me as a big moment. Yeah. It's, it's always the bit that's called out as well, though, like in animation and comics and stuff, even as far as like Gundam, Transformers, anything like that, when the robot head always comes out last, doesn't it? Mm. And so even when the rest of the transformation sped up, it's usually the bit that slowed down is where the head is revealed at the end. Yeah. It feels like the ta-da moment. Like that really cool 1986 movie Devastator transformation where he's, he's kind of piling up yeah. all the robots and it's the head that just like kind of slowly emerges at the last minute, isn't it? And then that's the like, oh, here we go kind of moment. And it's very cool. Yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> so does that answer your question? It absolutely does not. <laughs> I don't, don't know if what, what the question was. Uh, well, it was, or, it was if we, uh, what, is, what makes a good head sculpt? I was hoping for an example of one of those that has a great head sculpt, but the mm. rest of the toy is just a bit like, eh, could be battle charger, jump starter, but as long as it's got a head sculpt that good, you just accept it. I mean, a good example of a Transformers toy with a successful head sculpt where you can forgive most other things is just take Action Master Croc, for example. It's not a transforming toy, but it has such an excellent head sculpt and it looks like such a good robot as a result that you can happily display that alongside transforming toys. And that is a really lovely display piece. And it makes Croc desirable as well as his character does in, in the recent More Than Meets the Eye comics. But that toy doesn't need to transform into something fantastic. It doesn't have to be a legendary transformation or have perfect proportions. It just looks great because of its head sculpt. And that's doing a lot of work for that toy. Yeah, I actually really agree with that. I think Action Master's uh, it's kind of a good, you know, good example generally because the, so many of the head sculpts are spot on. I mean, there, there are a couple I'm not so keen on, like Devastator in that line, funnily enough. But generally speaking, I think most of the Action Master head sculpts absolutely nail it. And there are loads of great examples like Treadshot and some of the other original characters. Mainframe. Mainframe, you know, just spot on, absolutely brilliant, rad. They just look great. And they, they really kind of sell to you the character that you've got in hand there, even though it's a non-transforming toy. And there are other good sculpted details on them, but definitely the head sculpts in Action Masters are, are strong. And that counts when those toys are homaged years later. Because you'll take a completely different body, and you're talking about Action Masters, I'm thinking about the Revenge of the Fallen Lockdown that then came out as Circuit and AXA. And they got the head sculpts for those so right that you will absolutely believe that that's who it is, even though the toy is obviously spiky muscle car lockdown. But those uh, TFCC exclusives were gorgeous because the head sculpts were just nailed on. Isn't that the thing, though, where like you can have a toy that is representative of uh, of another character and the body can be completely different like it can even be a different color completely different alternate mode completely unrecognizable but as long as it's got the right head on it you're like yeah it's that character typically speaking you know it, it's so important in that regard that it, it just sort of transcends everything else yeah. trying to think of an example of that now well i was just about to bring up vinyl tech and alternators but then i was I guess, thinking yeah. well then you've got something like dead end which is just sunstreaker yeah yeah but different colors but it's, it works because they somehow made that head look evil. And through just working with what they had, it's completely believable. And it, it doesn't even look like Dead End. You know, it doesn't have Dead End's head at all compared to the original G1 Dead End. So I've just basically ruined that point. Yeah, you've kind of made the anti-point, if anything. But it's such a well-sculpted head. And it's yes, such a beautifully molded head. It's like, hey, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be Optimus. Who knows who cares? It's just right. so pretty. A lot of the head sculpts in Alternators and Vinyl Tech are great. I mean, actually, you know, Optimus head's probably the ultimate example, isn't it? Because you take something like Vinyl Tech Convoy uh, or Alternators Optimus Prime. One of the best Optimus head sculpts ever. It's fantastic Optimus it's Prime head sculpt. favourite part of that toy. I think, actually, Optimus heads is, is really the main thing here because they have a lot of commonalities, you know, faceplate, the, the eyes maybe you know the little visor crest thing a lot of those elements the, the earmuffs but they're not even some of that is not a hundred percent common in every optimus design but still there's something about them that when even when they're slapped onto something like vinyl tech convoy which has no other real hallmarks other than being red and blue mm-hmm. you you would not know it was a an optimus design really let's be fair too but it's still it is optimus when you see it Instantly. The grey PlayStation. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Optimus' head is like a crown, though, isn't it? It's like the king of toys. The second you see it, you know what it is. 
it's that instantly recognizable, no matter what it's on. It's yeah. a bit of a standout case, though. Yeah. Because throughout the years, Megatron, who is equally recognizable, has had far more variation in his heads, hasn't he? He has. I, I guess I was thinking of the G2 version, which is classic Megatron head right. in a different color, admittedly, right. but whacked on a massive bodybuilder tank type frame and still it's megatron yeah so but that has happened a few times but yeah and uh, yes uh, the heads have varied a lot more though it is fair to say i guess movie megatron changes bodies all the time doesn't he mm. and actually the first three heads in the movie trilogy uh, up to dark of the moon the heads are basically identical but the bodies are completely different mm. and yet you're never in doubt about who it is necessarily right. so that that recognition aspect is important too but yeah. then it doesn't have to be. For example, you completely sold me on Armada Megatron with the picture of the head sculpt. And it didn't okay. look like G1 Megatron by any stretch or a recognizable Megatron, but it just looked so good on that toy. I wanted that toy and I still mm. want that toy. And I don't care what the rest of it does. I got that fans hobby version of it because I wanted that head sculpt somehow represented. And I'm still looking for like an original Armada Megatron I want to buy. Uh, so I think honestly, what makes a great head sculpt is good looks, man. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think there is a, a slight element of feeling right. Like I often mention this when I write about toys, I often mention that something just feels right. And I, it's sort of, um, maybe it's a bit of a cop out. I don't know, <laughs> because it's sort of a, a bit of a, a nondescript way of describe, you know, describing something ultimately. But it, there is that sort of unexplainable quality about them sometimes. Like I can look at a head sculpt and it just feels right for that character or feels right for that toy. And it, I don't know, it just speaks to yeah. me. And it doesn't fit any other criteria of why other head sculpts look good. For yeah. example, old Robots in Disguise Skybite. That is a bizarre head sculpt. Obviously, it's Cybershark originally. But on that toy, that head sculpt is spot on. And it's great. Wait, I, I think I said in the Car Robots episode that I was so unsure about what you were going to make of that toy when you got it in hand and saw that face sculpt up close. That was the one thing that I was like, pretty sure you'll like the toy overall, but the head, I don't know. It might but it's turn. the cartoon. It's a beautiful representation of the cartoon, yeah. which is what I came across first, even though the cartoon is drawn off the toy. So obviously the toy is accurate. But again, that's another thing. It's that recognition thing. It's that representation of what I really like on screen on a toy, which is that toy's success as a head sculpt as well. Yeah. And its uniqueness. I think I've ruined the point again. i <laughs> <laughs> just making another one. You've added to the point. You've added right. colour to it. That's what it is. Context. Looking at the evolution of head sculpts in Transformers, starting right at the origins in Diaclone, Microchain series, even things like the pre-Shockwave and pre-Omega Supreme, how have those head sculpts evolved throughout the eras of Transformers from G1 through G2, or even just G1 through to movie era G1 and, and onwards? Uh, I think hugely. I mean, I guess when you look at the pre-TF era, you know, Diaclone, Microchange, all of that clobber, I think there's a lot there that is kind of more traditional robot style, isn't it? They were obviously reinterpreted by the cartoon and the comic with much more of a kind of humanoid face shape for a lot of them. Uh, some of them were kept, you know, like Prime, for example. But even then, they were given a bit more kind of recognisable humanoid quality with the eyes and things like that. Yeah, Far less robotic, 
non-sentient yeah. automaton kind e- exactly. of faces. I mean, the obvious examples are things like Brawn, isn't it? Which, you know, typically yeah. on the toy was um, a very hard to read. I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a great head sculpt, but uh, it's, it's out there. It's a bit more kind of like lifeless automaton sort of head sculpt. G1 Wheeljack. Right. Fabulous example. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What is that really? It's, you know, yeah. it's bizarre. And of course that was interpreted wrong in a way, yes. wasn't it? For the cartoon. They, they, they got the wrong bit for his, um, his visor and everything which is kind of weird. So yeah, that's a funny story by itself. But I think you moved very quickly from this kind of classic sort of sci-fi robot look through to something which was distinctly more humanoid. And then the the kind of ultimate extension of that in the 80s was the movie, of course, which started as anime designs. And you've really, you know, you can see the influence from Star Wars there. Facial hair. Yeah, exactly. I mean, literal facial hair on some, you know, at least two of the robots. And, uh, you know, stuff like Springer, who is clearly your Indiana Jones type. You've got RC with a, <laughs> with a Princess, Princess Leia. Leia. Yeah. buns you know uh, and uh, it's just it's so obvious even Hot Rod in the sort of Luke Skywalker role mm-hmm. it's so obvious that these these head designs and face sculpts are coming from that place and you see that translated loosely into the toys even in Blur and uh, <laughs> Rodimus Prime's old man face right yeah. exactly but the, yeah you really got Obi that. Cup Kenobi yeah, yeah, exactly. You got you got that personality in for the first time, didn't you? Where you'd mm. not had that previously in Transformers. More humanized, aren't they? Definitely, I think so. Yes, exactly that. And then later G one uh, sort of plays with that a little bit, but later G one kind of finds its wheelhouse a little bit and sticks with it, doesn't it? It kind of goes into that. But it's still a real mix, isn't it? For example, yeah. you've got Slug Slinger, who looks like it's a it's a human face inside a robotic helmet. That's a true. Bit. You've got that sort of aesthetic that he's got a very smooth face, doesn't he? Mm. And then. So some of them are very like hard angles and things. Yeah, you've got stuff like the headmasters, which are very different to those target masters uh, in terms of what those aesthetic is in that head. Super hmm. blocky, super segmented, I guess, with the toys. You know, because yeah. sometimes um, you kind of think you know where Chrome Dome's eyes are, but then it's actually no, it's that bar above his actual yes. painted face bit. So I remember, I think I got that wrong as a kid. I sort of saw his eyes somewhere else. I think I did. But then you, you get something like Slug Slinger and Misfire where it's completely obvious how that face is put together. Yeah, it's a different aesthetic going on. You've got something like Wheelie, little happy-go-wheelie. Oh, um, his, his face under the toilet seat is... Uh, <laughs> the completely yeah, exactly. the urinal I know, yeah. Yeah, he's the, how come that... you don't love that toy more Liam I don't, understand. <laughs> I don't either maybe that's why he looks so horrified because he's being flushed away <laughs> into his own could box. you take that like frightening flush toy that you've got and just sort of transplant wheelie's face in under the lid <laughs> I think that would be perfect that, that, that's the episode art for this uh <laughs> <laughs> That's that sorted. Yeah, I guess you do have a bit of it. So I suppose what I meant was that there's a, there's a real archetype in later G1. I don't know why the, the name that springs to mind for me actually is stuff like Road Handler and Countdown and things like that, which have that, they're Micromasters, but they have that very kind of typical square jaw, square features, sort of, you know, with a, with a cool head design type look. And I think there is a lot of that in G1. Uh, which really, really works. It kind of comes back to stuff like Galaxy Shuttle and things like that again, I guess. I guess then you get things like Pretenders and mm-hmm. Bludgeon and all the kind of out there things as well. So there's a lot of experimentation with it for sure. But even uh, the little headmaster units, their little tiny humanoid heads are quite roboty like that in that yeah. traditional robot way, aren't they? They are. They are. I really like those head designs as well on those little yeah. little Nebulon dudes. They look great. Uh, but yeah, and then I think in G2... 
you got some more slightly less humanoid features. Like you got stuff like uh, old Dreadwing and the Autoformers and things like that, which really had more kind of like unusual shaped heads. Like Dreadwing has a real kind of dome head. Clench is, is a real yeah. funny one, isn't it? Clench, actually, do you know what that reminds me of? Is a movie verse, like a Bayformer Decepticon. Mm, yeah. It has that. And actually a lot of the Decepticons from that era have that kind of insectoid look to them almost. Even stuff like Skyquake and things like that all have that kind of slight bug look to them almost it's hard to explain there's a very 90s comic vibe to those isn't they off the time you like death's head and stuff like that and how he was changing yeah certain characters like that like clench is one it feels like it could have come out an image comic somewhere gosh you you know you're so right actually you're on the money with that that comparison i think totally uh so yeah that was a a total era for weird stuff uh and i think maybe that just carried into g2 a bit is Kalkar considered G2 or is that like a back-end G1 kind of pyro sort of thing? Because that, that's another one that always stood out to me as very, very different to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to what had come before. It's all that same era. It's all yeah. like Turbo Master era. It's those couple of years. So yeah, Kalkar is a weird one. Again, very kind of bug-like. Mm-hmm. Sort of, and, and uh, there is, as I say, there's just something about those designs that makes me think of the Bayformer Decepticons. You know, that kind of like mandibles look to them almost. I seem to be the only person that makes that comparison, but it, it works in my head. Because even some of the um, the Predator jets, don't they? They've got very spiky heads, like almost like they're wearing crowns and pointy to yeah. a sort of degree, haven't they? They're less square and blocky. The faces are, but the helmets and stuff are a bit more ornate. Almost. Yeah. I think they definitely experimented a bit with that. Uh, It's like the ultimate representation of Transformers moving into new eras is the way head sculpts have changed. Because you could still pick up a a Monstructor little pretender monster and look at its head and be like, that's a very G1 toy. But as soon as they start putting on those heads like you're talking about, these spikes and this insectoid sort of look, that's when you put that next to your G1 Transformers and things have changed. You know, Things have really moved on design-wise to new directions and it's the same with modern transformers you know like you look at things like you were saying bayformers that is such a fundamental shift in design from even things like car robots alternators unicron trilogy then bosh you know you suddenly got bayformers which is a completely different evolution of head design i think that's it i think up until Bayformers, in a funny way, you can see the, like with a lot of stuff, like with gimmicks, you can see the evolution from one line to the next. Like you can you see, see the DNA, yeah. Yeah, you can, exactly. You can see the thread, the strand from G1 to G2, like particularly with the, the European stuff. You know, you can kind of link it in there and see where it's going. All right, it takes a few leaps and there are individual toys that maybe kind of, you know, push the boundaries along a little bit, but you see it. And then in, into Beast Wars, you know, that in the three or four years that Beast Wars was around, you can truly see how they head sculpts go from a fairly mostly quite standard place to start with you know like obviously some of them like optimus primal taking Mm -hmm. cues from g1 transformers even and there are there are some weird ones at the start don't get me wrong but you know by year three particularly by the time the transmetal twos roll around you've got some very weird stuff going on you know you've got all kinds of like fangs and like as i say uh very asymmetric head sculpts you've got stuff that isn't really recognizable as like a traditional transformers face in a lot of regards um cyber shark is a great example yeah exactly exactly just though you know those kinds of things and some really kind of insectoid weird animalistic ones some that don't look like robots at all but then you can kind of see that strand stretching through into rid car robots mm-hmm. as you sort of said and then in some ways that leads on to the unicron trilogy and you know i'm just naming lines now but it's you can see sort of the 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 strand of it all but then bayformers came along 2007 and just i don't know like wrote its own script basically didn't it yeah 
insert exploded drinks can meme, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. One of the problems I always had is I struggled to find the eyes. And that's one of the reasons I find them the, those designs so difficult. No matter what the robots look like, I can often can't find the eyes, which then makes it really hard to find the face. I don't know if anyone else has ever had that. I, I can understand that. I think there are... I actually do really like a lot of the Bayformer des- designs, as you know. And um, you know, despite what everyone can say about the films, I do think a lot of the designs work. But I can see why people find them confusing as well, because they are cluttered. And the head sculpts, yeah. I mean, particularly where they've got almost like not one particular eye, you know, they've got like a bit of an eye here yeah. and then like another bit in the forehead or something. So they have and then, slits across them, which yeah. it, it, then it's hard to track where the face is. And like it, it was only Definitely. recently where I worked out where Ratchet's actual face was. Like a, I, I knew obviously where it was. Yeah. I was only looking at it and went, oh, they're the features. It's taken me years to actually look at it and go, oh, Well, even Prime, one thing I always think is weird about Bayforms Prime's original design is that he's got those slits across the eye almost. You know, he's got those little, um, I don't know what you call them, but those little bits over his eye. Venetian blinds. Yeah, almost. (laughs) Yeah, it is like that, isn't it? Someone's in there just pulling a little bit of string. (laughs) Yeah. But it's a a strange choice. It's, you know, I suppose if I'm honest, like I love that design. I love that robot design, everything. That particular aspect of it, I could live without, you know, just because I think if the eyes were a bit cleaner, it would would look really cool, you know, and it would probably read to a lot of people as more classic Optimus, you know, just because the eyes would be more kind of recognisable, I suppose, as you were saying, Liam. Yeah, and it's just sometimes it's having just a very clear and distinct face that you can look at quickly. With some of those, you get lost trying to work out what you, where you're looking for the emotion and stuff. Also, I, I think a lot of it comes from recognition for us, uh, yeah. and it's that whole thing about being able to pick up a Transformer and knowing how it transforms by looking at the the lines on it. Because I've, I've shown a number of Transformers to my wife, for example, and I've said, look at this amazing thing. And she's mistaken where the head on it is sometimes because she's not completely up with the aesthetic of different lines. So she'll look at it for a moment and say, oh, that's where the head is. You know, she was looking somewhere completely different, you know, because they don't always have those very typical human proportions like you get with masterpiece transformers, which are very based on the models, which obviously were drawn to look as humanoid as possible. Uh, for example, I'd love to know what she makes of G1 Ironhide, for example, if I ever said, hey, what do you think of this guy? But there are even humanoid Transformers where she's not been able to immediately see where the head on that robot is. And that sort of, we have this sort of filter that we can immediately spot these features on toys. But if even we can't immediately pick out facial features, yeah, that's great that there's more diversity, but also it maybe hinders connection every now and then. Uh, do you know, I'm actually just wondering now, as we've kind of got onto the topic, with something like Bayformers Prime, if that design, because what we were saying before about Optimus heads and, you know, being able to recognise it's an Optimus Prime, even despite the body shape changing, all of that. I wonder if when 2007 or even 2006 rolled around and that concept art landed, I wonder how people would have felt about it if the head was classic Optimus. You know, like if the head was immediate, G1 Prime, yeah, it could have been an evolution of it. It could have been different, as many convoy heads have been o- over the years. But I wonder if it was just a little bit more spot on to kind of in, in people's mind's eye of Optimus Prime, if the body and everything else would have been easier to swallow. Yeah, well, look at the reaction to the Bumblebee movie, Optimus Prime head. Like, that's beloved because it's so much more G1, but it's got so much more detail because it's movie-like, isn't it? Mm. Like, imagine that on that first movie, Optimus Prime body. Well, you, you don't have to imagine it. You can see it in the concept boards that they put out during oh, yeah, yeah. BotCon of that year. You can see how those heads evolved. Yeah. From, even Bumblebee was a really good example of and Jazz. 
seeing how those evolutions of those drawings ended up where they ended up. Yeah, some of them almost overnight. It was like they, it's so weird seeing all those concepts art, artwork and, and how they went through that. It was almost like they went home on a Friday with something fairly classic, thought about it over the weekend and came back and went, nah, let's start again mm. on that one. And it's like, it just takes this sudden leap from something recognisable to something weird that then like somehow morphs into what we saw on screen. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, and maybe it was a representation of them trying to disconnect people from everything that had happened in the past and accept it as a completely new thing. You know, that is also personified in their faces. Like we were saying earlier about you look at people's faces for their expressions, even the cartoons. Like you look how many toys come from different faces. They're smiling, they're screaming, they're growling or whatever. But in the movies, you never really see that. You don't really remember expressions on their faces. You don't remember them smiling or growling because there's so much going on. They're not distinct in that same way. Mm. In like, if you think of, is it MP44 Megatron? Is that, that what number he is? The V2 one. MP36. Yeah, yeah. 36 even, yeah. It's, he comes with 400 different faces, doesn't he? And the laughing one is incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's so what you think of when you think of G1 Megatron. That's a spot that's, on face. That's a good point, actually. That's probably one of the best head sculpts, yeah. or face sculpts on mm. any uh, Transformers toy ever. It's on my list today. Am I? But it, it conveys that character so well. But when you think of the movies, I wouldn't picture Ironhide smiling or screaming or growling, or even what his face is doing. And same with Octopus Prime, even when you see his faceplate, you don't get a range of that in those movies. Just because those faces are so busy and there's so much going on. I think the only one I can remember pulling any sort of expression was Lockdown in Age of Extinction. Yeah. And that's because he had a very humanoid face. Yeah, exactly. That's the, a great example. Because even if you mm. look at like Bumblebee, the marquee character doesn't have a mouth. Ultimate Prime has a faceplate, but he does have a mouth in the film a lot, but he doesn't really do much but talk with it. And you yeah. know, the cartoons are different because they are so, drawn so humanoid, but they're given very human faces in the way they express an emotion. Conversely, I would say that the Bumblebee movie, again, we're, we're falling into a little bit of um, a stereotype with this conversation in a way, but the Bumblebee movie... Um, you know, they took the Bumblebee design from the 2007, yeah. you know, or the Bayformers films and tweaked it, but it is more G- G1 at the time, like G1 yeah. toy. The, the, there's different elements to it, isn't there? They've kind of captured the Bayformer look. But when you compare 2007 Bumblebee with Bumblebee Bumblebee side by side, they're not that similar, actually, but there's enough going on in the design that you can sort of recognize it as being the same character even though actually side by side they're quite different but then there's enough of the g1 toy in it as well that you can also kind of get that cue from it but then they've also allowed that character to emote quite a bit on screen i think like you know when he's happy you know when he's sad you know come the end scene where spoiler alert he's um you know saying goodbye to charlie and all of that it's it's very clear what he's feeling and i think that's a real strength of that film and that model that they created for that character that um i don't know you you don't get that in the same way with the with the original design for bumblebee you kind of you have to hear what he's feeling through the radio don't you yeah or how he poses his body don't you You can tell his emotions from the way his shoulders sink or you know when he's dancing you know stuff like that yeah it's very physically done isn't it yeah 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 that's mad i'm different i'm looking at that bumblebee from the bumblebee movie and i never clocked that there was a g1 aesthetic in that face for the g1 toy but i can clearly see what you're talking about now Do you see it, you see it? yeah i it's see not it just... yes i had completely missed that yeah i for a sudden for a second i thought you were going to tell me i was imagining it no yeah. no I, i'd completely missed it. the mask is so obviously there even though there's stuff on top of it I, I think it was a conscious choice yeah it's a conscious choice i swear they looked at the 2007 film or whatever films had come before with bumblebee and i swear they went okay look we're going to rewrite all of these other characters you know ironhide all of that will look like the g1 cast fine but Bumblebee, we need that link. And they found what I think is 
honestly an exceptional crossover between the Bayformers films and the G1 toy. And I think they, they nailed it, in my opinion. Absolutely nailed it. I think that's a good description of the movie generally. Yeah. I think the movie vibe. But going back to our discussion on head sculpts, so we've talked about how they evolved. Is it fair to say that things like Beast Wars and the Bay movie era are the greatest departures from what would have, from what would be the base level of what you'd expect of a Transformers toy head sculpt? Are those, in your opinions, the biggest departures from them? I guess Beast Wars stroke machines, because that is mm-hmm. some of the Beast Machines designs are truly out there as well like even at the time i remember beast machines felt like a departure from beast wars actually with stuff like the vehicon drones and things like that because they were again very non-humanoid you know beast wars actually if anything had gone very 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 humanoid at that point you know i mean kind of with an animalistic twist but they were maybe not even humanoid but just very organic you know so Mm. a lot of the face sculpts because particularly with transmetals you'd had this thing with kind of more organic robot forms and more techno you know beast modes a lot of the the faces on the robots were almost unrecognizable as robots you know stuff like silverbolt is probably a good example yeah i was thinking of silverbolt and air razor straight away like yeah. fusels that was just my mind went there that's not an obvious robot you know you wouldn't no. look at silverbolt he looks like a like a wolf you know really dog or, bird or the dog bird yeah that's what he is the winged wolf you know he doesn't look like a like it'd have wires underneath that or whatever mm. so much it's, it's a very organic face sculpt don't think he had anything underneath it to be honest <laughs> he's he's all right old silver bolt he's got a good heart that's the main thing so <laughs> uh but that's a topic for another day more on that later and uh but i think then you come on to beast machines and the the face sculpts are so purposely away from that to contrast the vehicons with the maximals you know you've got stuff like Tankor and um uh, all of those guys uh who just is almost back to diaclone level of robotic faces uh, and that's a real shift for sure mm. the rid car brothers as well are another good example of where the heads don't feel anything like g1 in that sense do they because they're all very asymmetrical well what's his face is cyburn in particular and x braun mm. yeah but i don't know what it is man it's just something maybe about their overall aesthetic that felt like it was very much in line with transformers like i had no difficulty accepting them as Transformers from Cybertron. I don't know what it was about, especially Sideburn. Like, obviously, he has that thing over one of his eyes. I would have thought something like Skybite with his half mouth being different and half his yeah. face being completely different was a better example of how that uh, line shifted things along. But I don't know what it was about Sideburn and X-Brawn and Prowl. I just I accepted them immediately. Was it because they're cars and I'm that simply wired upstairs, maybe? I don't yes. know, but... Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was literally it. I mean, I, actually, I think those guys are all quite a continuation from Beast Wars. I know we talked about it in yeah. terms of articulation and stuff, but, you know, Sideburn, if you pop that head on a Beast Wars toy, it wouldn't look out of place. It's Silverbolt as a car. Yeah. But then everything is Silverbolt in Transformers, isn't it, really? <laughs> it's not that one mold. Like, that is the, the central nexus of all Transformers entities is a silver bolt of some description yeah i i think actually in more recent years if anything you don't it's where you don't have some of those quite as distinct head sculpts i guess maybe because so many now modern toys are yeah. hearkening back to eras from the past aren't they mm-hmm. you're not necessarily pushing into new territories all the time and even where you are it's still sort of slightly in homage to something that's already come so, I mean, what was the last real big new era? I guess actually R.I.D. 2015. Yep. That's a real out there. Yes. That's proper bizarre. But again, like I'm thinking of something like Bisque or Steeljaw from that line. You know, those two Transformers turn into vehicles, but it's almost like they're using the robot mode 
to invoke a beast mode. And I don't think it's a million miles away from Beast Wars, even though they're mostly beast heads. Although I suppose Clampdown is a little bit like that crab from SpongeBob SquarePants, isn't he? Moose Tractor has a fantastic head. Yeah. Thunderhoof. Uh, yeah, Thunderhoof. That guy, yeah. yeah, that one. Actually, you're right. It, it is a departure, but it's it's a wonderful departure. It is a departure. There's a, isn't there like a, there's a frog one who actually has the tongue or something? Or am yeah, I imagine yeah. that? That's right. No, that's true. Like that, uh, the, there are some, there are a couple. Spring something, spring back. I don't know what it's called. I've forgotten. Mm. And there's the dude that is in the first episode that eats metal. Underbite. Underbite. Thank you. And stuff like that, that's a real departure. That's a real thing out on its own. Speaking about departures, I cannot wait to do an episode on RID 2015. Yeah, we'll get that. Because yeah. I'll get to watch the show and then the seasons I haven't seen. And I'm really looking forward to that. Have you not seen it all? No, Ooh, I haven't, which is mad. Good, they just stopped being available to us at good a time. Good. I've seen all of it, man. But yeah, you're right. That was a, another Same. big departure. And I guess it's no surprise that that has stuck in my memory as a as a high point in recent years of Transformers design experimentation. I was going to mention animated as well, but the thing is, Transformers animated, it was just an art style. It wasn't necessarily that the designs of the faces didn't match former eras, because they really, really do. But yeah. um, it's an art style that brought something out, and that was evident in the toys. I agree. I think it, animated is fantastic. But it, but yes, it's like when you see a very stylized drawing of a classic G1 character yeah, almost, like, isn't it? It's, like Studio Ox style right. kind of thing. Yeah, it's not so much that it's the... The, the features the and things design, that yeah. are that are unusual so much as the way it's drawn that makes it more distinct. So speaking of, um, we're just talking briefly there um, about kind of modern toys and how they reference stuff from the past and whatever else. Of course, the obvious example in many respects is Masterpiece and the fact that, you know, the designs there, particularly now, are so focused on the past, um, you know, and kind of homaging something to really kind of the, the perfect degree, you know. So we were talking about Megatron, things like that as being the kind of, I suppose, like the perfect embodiment, isn't it, of, well, that's what they set out to be, of that character in toy form. You know, kind of if you would imagine classic cartoon Megatron, this is, you know, with MP36, that's what you see right there. Yeah, I, th- I think Th- that was their, like, philosophy Yeah, for a lot of them. But I feel like they missed with some, but they really landed with Megatron and yeah. something like Inferno, for example. That was a, a real land. Yeah, I think some of them divide opinion a bit more than others, don't they? Like mm-hmm. Starscream, the new Starscream, yeah. things like that. And you've, both, you've both said that you felt that the Starscream was a little bit off for different reasons mm-hmm. or whatever, whereas I think it's pretty spot on. Um, but I think what interests me now is that you see those CAD designs from those Masterpiece toys now being reused in like War for Cybertron and things like that. So like the one that really got me was like Prowl, for example, yeah. first seeing the the you know, WFC Prowl toy. It's just the Masterpiece head on yeah. on a new toy. It's mad. And Masterpiece Prowl has one of the best head sculpts I've ever yeah. seen on a Transformers toy. And that Masterpiece head sculpt on WFC Prowl almost made me want to buy it because it's so good. And it just shows again yeah. that a, a perfect head sculpt can do a great job for it all. At the risk of saying it, it's my favourite bit of the WFC toy. Do you know what I mean? Because it's it's just it's where all the character comes from and whatever else. It's uh, it's it's really really good. And I think I mean I'm not knocking it at all. It's a very clever thing that they've done because they've taken you know they're not exact replicas. Like there are changes made to them. I noticed it on uh, Blue Streak actually that that was very close with the masterpiece very mm. close but they're taking designs that have been done clearly i mean it, it, there was some debate about it i think i posted about it online and someone was trying to quibble it with me and saying that they didn't think it was true and i was like 
I mean, just look at them. Do you know? <laughs> look at them mm-hmm. side by side. It's it's clear to me as day that that's what they're doing with some designs. Uh, but I think it makes total sense. But what is interesting is that it says that they've kind of come to a place where they've found what they believe is the kind of formula or the, the sort of best representation that they can get for some of these characters and they're reusing it. So because it's all about homaging the past in WFC as well as Masterpiece, there's almost no need to recreate them. I mean, the other one that really struck me was Dinobot because that head is it's so weird to me i don't own it but when i see pictures of the kingdom toy it's the masterpiece head on a completely different toy (laughs) is that not the case with kingdom beast wars megatron too not not as much no actually that one i think is a bit of a departure that's that's um yeah that looks different to me do you think though that it is a case of the just reusing the masterpiece or do you think there's a case where they're both going for the same thing now and they're designed by a lot of the same people anyway so they are we are getting to a point where they are just going to look the same anyway because they're targeting that aren't they no doubt and i think in megatron's case actually that's what it is i think because i the, i don't see the same immediate commonalities necessarily i think that is just literally that the two designs kind of come to a point where they're chasing the same goal so closely but i i do definitely believe yeah. that in some cases like prowl blue streak Dyn- dinobot man look at masterpiece dinobot and the kingdom toy no i agree with you completely i remember that example oh definitely with dinobot it's the same yeah. head it's the same head. I mean, it's not. There are small changes, small tweaks made. I think in in the molding or whatever it is that they've done with it, but something. But it's the same head design that they've worked yeah. from initially. The same file, uh, and uh, that to me is is mad. I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to go the other way with it, like take because the way they've been doing the generations head sculpts for the last couple of years, they're spectacular. They are so good, and some of them you look at they them, and go, they can't be bettered, and I can only see them upscaling them again, and it would they'd work because. They're obviously, I think it's a similar team, isn't it? We, we know that some of the Masterpiece people have moved over. And yes. Been doing I think, yeah, particularly like yeah. Um, old Hasui and people like that, you've had working on some mainline toys and things like that, yeah. haven't you? So, so like you say with the head, if they get something and it's already perfect, it's why not just upscale it or downscale it where it needs to be and where it works? I think, yeah, it'll be fascinating the first time you see a Masterpiece toy come out that has a head that looks like a Kingdom toy or something like that. You know, that'll be um, really quite something. Very bizarre. So why haven't they done that with Soundwave then? Because we've had enough G1-based Soundwaves is that the case there too? Like you, you take the really spot on masterpiece head and it's been recreated for generations class sound waves. Cause it wasn't for Titans return. You know, that was a different, very different look for sound. Uh, there. I think this, the bizarrely, the sound wave masterpiece head kind of comes from an era of mixed design though, doesn't it? It comes from an yeah. era of a bit of toy, a bit of cartoon, a bit of comic and kind of blended influence. And I think actually Takara maybe and Hasbro have sort of moved on from that a little bit to a place of pure cartoon, you know, so like Prowl is kind of, it is so close to the cartoon that that kind of fits it, you know? And, um, well, like Prowl was literally the next one after Soundwave, wasn't it? I know, it I know, but yet, yet it's so much more cartoony mm. in in its original masterpiece design. I mean, particularly the Plus version. Sideswipe is another example, actually. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The yes, the um, Siege toy is very close mm. in that regard. But it does almost it, better, actually. Yeah, it's better defined. I think it's, so. Yeah, it's better defined. Actually, I would say uh, I only have the uh, Tiger Track version, but yes, the face is really nice on that. The masterpiece Sideswipe's head has become how I think of Sideswipe's head now because I've seen it on on the Siege toy as well like you're saying there it's so similar but when i see uh, renditions of the cartoon one you know like third parties have done it just looks weird and wrong yeah so i was like looking at the alternators one as well it looks cool but my head now is just rewritten size like that. that's one of the weakest alternators head sculpts yeah. that's it sideswipe is. lambo i would agree but isn't that it though what you're saying there liam because it's like because we've seen some of these heads 
And it's not many, maybe, but there are some real, like the Sideswipe one is a real classic example because we've seen them used on so many different versions of the Masterpiece mold and now on several versions of the uh, Siege mold and everything from beyond that and then Earthrise and everything. You know, it's almost become the stock look for that character, hasn't it? It's become how yeah. we think of that character. Yeah. I think it's happened to Skyfire now as well. Yeah. Like you had the Commander class one in Siege and then you had the Generation Skyfire, both utterly gorgeous, by the way. And, it, and even Classics, you know, was was a little bit in that direction. And now that is just the look. But then you've also got the the Valkyrie-style helmet that is always accompanies it. So they sort of fall into this tick box thing of you must so yes they have an established look now whereas some other characters do vary quite a lot an established look is a great way to put it because we've touched on this before about how new designs are pretty much always follow that template don't they it's the, the g1 cast transformers has moved now to more of like iconography hasn't it using yes specific characters and it, it might look slightly different but it's very similar and i think it's the mm. same with the head there you were saying that's the head now that's what it will always look like that's it exactly changes I think the danger with that, maybe, is that you get into a bit of a place with it, don't you? Into a bit of a rut. I mean, when will we see the next Ironhide that doesn't look like that? That's the thing, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're never going to get the old uh, seat head Ironhide. It's never going to happen again, is it? Let's be fair. That's not going to... I mean, it would be an amazing thing if it happened. I'd love to see it in a funny way, but it's it's never going to happen. Equally, you know, movie-verse Ironhide, it feels now actually like those movie-verse designs, some of them are like real like a moment in time, you know, they feel very mm. of their era. And it's almost because the designs have gone so far back to G1, yeah. so heavily, so quickly. Such proliferation as well in a short right. period of time. Like, look at Bumblebee. Yeah. I mean, G1 Bumblebee head now is is once again the norm, isn't it? Like, you got it on the Buzzworthy toys. Wait, he didn't really have a WFC toy, did he? Like, a... uh, He did. He had... Which one was it? Was it the Netflix one? Yeah, the one that most people seem to think is a downscale version of the Masterpiece because the engineering is really similar. But right. he's, got, he's got a really nice face sculpt. But he's, he's a good case, because his head sculpts are never the same. They're always the G1 style, but they always look quite different in a way that most characters don't get now. It's really strange. Isn't there like a really small Legends class one now, which has the kind of G1 cartoon style yeah. face that the most recent MP had? Yeah, the core class one. Okay. So, I mean, the, there is a possibility that that will then become the stock face now that they've nailed that look on the highest end version of G1 Bumblebee and almost the lowest end with all respect intended to size, class and price point, that maybe that will just become the homogenous look I think so. for, for Bumblebee going forward now. He does feel like one they've struggled with, doesn't he? Because the first masterpiece for years, people complained about the face a lot, didn't they? That was a, a Get the battle mask. It's the better look anyway. I always liked the face on that thing, MP21. MP21 was a fabulous toy. Yeah, all really round, it. top draw Transformers toy. It's one of the one of the most toy like masterpieces, and I think that's one of the reasons it's so good. Yeah, but then the face on MP20, uh, was it MP45? Hmm. was a real weird one because it, that for me was the one that didn't work so well actually yeah. taking it from the cartoon because it was like they took it was like what someone had done was printed off a picture of the the character from the cartoon. Uh, or the animation model or whatever, and drawn the lines where they were and then sort of rendered that into a 3D image and then that's what you've got. And somewhere the translation of that, it just doesn't quite work. There's like a little bit of translation of that 2D image that needs to happen for it to really work perfectly in 3D form. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they nail it. I mean, some of the examples you gave, I would agree with Megatron, probably the ultimate example of that, spot on perfect. Honestly, Sky yeah. fires, the, the recent Sky fires and jet fires have right. knocked it out of the park. But just that, that MP45 Bumblebee for me, it has all the right elements. It's all there, yeah. 
but it just doesn't mesh together somehow to really convince me of I don't hear I don't look at it and hear the voice necessarily. That's the thing. No. Yeah. But the thing is, I think the core class did it better. Maybe anyway, I think that's the closest they've gotten to making the cartoon face work. And I wonder if they're gonna evolve that to mm. then nail it for an eventual third masterpiece. I don't know. Some yay. <laughs> But like the cliff jumper that we've seen pictures of, which still hasn't been officially announced, by the way, yeah. I think the cliff jumper head looks really good. Mm. There's amazing leaked photos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's not get into that again. But <laughs> it's really coloured my perception yeah. of that toy. Which I'm joking. But it, I think the, the head on that does yeah. look good, to be fair. But yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a such a fascinating point. But I do, I suppose, just going back a step, I do wonder now if we're going to get to a point where actually we can't kind of get out of this realm of these characters looking, having to look the same way every time. It's almost like they've become, you know, you've got your established Bumblebee archetype, your established Sideswipe archetype, and then like you can't move away from it too far otherwise it's not instantly recognizable as that character you know will we ever get another non-third party toy mirage head with top half being blue with the yellow eyes and just that kind of face or will it always just be another it's had it in wfc didn't we they did they did do it but they only put it on the clear one oh i see they did the toy that's true yeah they did didn't they and it's a shame because it looks beautiful. Like I've seen people paint it and it looks amazing. Right. So I guess then there is always the possibility that someone will resurrect an older march. I disagree with you, Sixo. I think we will get a windscreen face Ironhide before too long. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> I think you can only go so many places with Ironhide before it starts becoming... It goes back again. Yeah, I think it would just be such a wild thing for them to do. And it's always possible that they will do a highly toy-based mainline subset at some point because there are so many things they could do. Battle Mask Bumblebee, Toy Face Mirage, Toy Face or Toy Windscreen Head Ratchet and things like that are are real possibilities, I think. It it does go different ways. I guess I was thinking of two things. Tracks. Yeah, Tracks is a good example. The one I was thinking of first was that actually some third-party companies, you mentioned third-party, fans toys, have stopped doing a lot of toy faces and things, or had done, but now they've started to bring it back with stuff like their latest Soundwave and things like that, and their new Blaster that they've just unveiled have both got toyetic faces to them. And there are companies like X-Transbots doing very toy-heavy repaints, you know, stuff like MP36 plus and things like that which has got the toy face so some of those things are coming back a little bit as a kind of alternative which is really interesting and another thing i just thought of actually which i have to throw in here because it's fascinating to me and i hope it's true maybe it's not but did you see there was a post i think it was on social media somewhere that someone took the talking about the the seat faces the windscreen faces for um, ironhide and ratchet and they compared them to the movie verse faces did you see this? I don't think so. Oh, man. I'll, go, I'll find a link for you, but it's fascinating. So they took, for example, the original G1 toy Ratchet face on the seat, uh, like a scan of it or whatever, and they synced it up with the Ratchet Movieverse 2007 face. It's not that far off. Oh, I have seen that, actually. Yeah, and yeah I'm not even kidding. Right, yeah. It's not that far off. Ironhide as well. Like there's, I don't want to say it's a dead ringer or anything, but you look at two things long enough side by side and you can start to see. A bit like with you just saying about the Bumblebee with the yeah. G1 toy, that you could see that maybe there was some cues there. So maybe we have already had seat face. Yeah. Just goes to show you need the windscreen too. Yeah, you do. Yeah. The Transformers will return after these messages. Now's the part of the episode where we go to our sponsors' websites and we have a little look at what they're offering this week. And we're going to start with tfsource.com, primarily masterpiece, third-party Transformers, but also vintage and mainline. Guys, what have you seen on the website that's caught your eye? I am currently looking at that TR2 Commander of Stars. Is it Energon or Cybertron Optimus Prime? It's like a third-party version. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, Cybertron, yeah, Galaxy Force. He's just a winged maniac. 
It looks really cool. Yeah, it does look amazing. What about you, Sixer? What's caught your eye? Definitely that. I have to say, really into that. Uh, I mentioned that in a article just the other day, actually, as it goes. Uh, I also quite bizarrely into the Make Toys Sky Clone that's up there, the purple one. Really nice colours on that, yep. Lovely colours. And it's so bizarre because it's a toy that I have multiple, multiple versions of already. I mean, it's like any Seeker mould. It's like, oh, another one. Uh, but we've never had a masterpiece or third-party purple one, Hotlink, before. So that's something a little bit different. So definitely going to have a look to get one of those in hand. Kind of makes me want to track down their yellow one now. The Sunstorm. Mm, that they did, yeah. can't remember what it was called now offhand, but uh, never never got that one. And now I'm thinking maybe that's a bit of an oversight. I'm looking at the Iron Factory EX20D Tyrant Wing Desert Rose, and that is not the song by Sting. Oh, is... you beat me to it. Aha, aha. This is basically the Iron Factory Legends class Ramjet in the G2 Sandstorm colors, which is with the Desert Camo. Oh, nice. So, any rendition of this figure that is made, I will love. The only thing that's missing are the teeth on the nose cone. But otherwise, that's just fantastic. I absolutely love that. Yeah, that's a smart little thing. That looks really cool. All that legend stuff, I'm well into, man. I don't own any of it, but it always looks intriguing to me. And I think, you know, considering how small some of it is, just looks exceptional, some of the designs. Yeah, no, I used to have the, uh, I think it was Iron Factory Mirage, and that was just brilliant. And their smokescreen was fantastic too, before they started to become more and more G1 in their looks. But yeah, the, the Mirage was amazing. So it's astonishing what they accomplish at that scale these days. Yeah. I had the Tarn, and it was really, really nice. The engineering they managed to put into such tiny little figures is fantastic. Oh, man. I, I often look at them and just think, I mean, we talk about like, we joke about mini masterpieces or whatever. Those are proper little mini masterpieces. And, and I often think, man, if you could have a collection that looks like that at that scale, what a space saver, right? <laughs> just think of the practicality. Well, people do. People do now with like Magic Square and um, New Age. Those companies yeah. have, have moved into that as well and much more G1 scale. There are people that have ditched third party and Masterpiece and just gone into you know Legends yeah. and, and all of that and New Age and stuff. And I can see why. I think the New Age jazz was especially amazing, that little thing. I can't remember what it was called, but that was an especially attractive one at that scale. Mm. The Seeker Mall they did, the Starscream, is incredible. Mm. Our friend Josh bought it to the pub once, and I was just fascinated by an incredible little toy. Mm. Well, moving on to gearforgeeks.co.uk, obviously a UK-based retailer, but also with a very strong used, pre-owned Transformers and other toy lines sections on there. Anything caught your eye on there? I mean, obviously last week highlighted the rather well-priced robots in disguise and vintage pre-Transformers, but anything else caught your eye? There's something on there that I'm amazed is still there, which is the Mastermind Creations Coulter, which is their tarn. Because that's normally quite high in demand, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, that's an instant sell whenever I see that on a Facebook group or something. Someone getting rid of that, it's just gone immediately. Yeah, uh, yeah I was amazed to see that actually there are a couple of third-party items on there. I hadn't appreciated that uh, under pre-owned other toys that there was uh, actual third-party items on there as well. So there's a couple of bits in there, definitely, that have kind of caught my eye uh, that look pretty cool. Uh, I was just kind of combing through some of the the Generation 1 vintage stuff as well. Uh, a couple of like mini-bots, like a nice little warpath on there, things like that. And a, and a reasonably priced uh, Stalker uh, for 18 quid, which I think looks great. And that is a must-have toy, in my opinion. Like, if you love G1 toys, that's a gotta-have uh, right there. So someone should definitely snap that up. I decided to look in the accessories section for vintage and i found a couple of things which uh, made me smile one of them is 
it's a generation one arcana vintage brainstorm head which i think is very on topic for us for this episode yeah i saw that i love that head sadly that's sold but it's still there and it just shows you that you should keep an eye on the accessories there because if you can find g1 vintage headmaster heads on there that's a place to keep your eye on but the thing that caught my eye was the transformers g1 vintage action master wheeljack turbo racer pre-owned yeah. for 899 because it is a ferrari testarossa i just think it'd be great to grab one of those and just paint it white just have a white testarossa that other transformers can sit in it'd just be brilliant because then you could do like i love that a- we always talk about the white testarossa that's like yeah we could just make like a sunny crockett action master and that'd just be fantastic <laughs> it needs to come with a little sound box that plays crockett's theme just in the <laughs> there you go with today's technology i'm sure you could turn that thing into a tiny little mp3 player Oh, imagine if it was inside, you know, like in the actual dashboard, like a little little button you press where the stereo would be. Well, doesn't this whole Action Master vehicle thing have like pop-out guns? Oh, it's got a whole uh, like Omnibot-style attack mode. Turns into like a little jet. It's just basically just combine Blaster and that thing and turn it into a little music player and make it white and it'll play Crockett's theme. Somebody please do that. So thank you to tfsource.com and gearforgeeks.co.uk for being our sponsors. Remember to check out those websites for all your Transformers and third-party needs. We now return to the Transformers. So another thing I want to talk about uh, with regards to head sculpts on Transformers toys is gimmickry. And this obviously started quite a way back in 1987 with Headmasters. So very early on in Transformers, the head was identified as a section of the toy that could also engage beyond just being the recognizable face of a toy. So that could obviously be removed and it would become a smaller robot. Then we've had gimmicks like light piping, where you know, you've got these panels on behind the head and they shine through the eyes there are some toys that do this exceptionally well things like i think to give it its proper title it's uh isn't it la 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 light piping la light piping and successful light pipe toys like g1 rotorstorm all the turbo <laughs> masters i totally didn't get that reference so i'm just Moving gonna on. gloss over it and carry on yeah yeah, yeah car robots no sell it that's what it did what is it it's uh robots in disguise scourge the other day you proposed on twitter was the best light pipe toy but you were obviously wrong and it's g1 rotorstorm i knew that's it was light. rotorstorm i was just looking for the engagement <laughs> I set you up with it. You were stirring up a hornet's nest. Exactly. Exactly. I was, happy, I, I was happy to add to your numbers. Yeah, yeah. I, I gave you the number two toy in the post in the hope that it would spark some debate and someone like yourself would come back with the number one toy. Chaotic 6 in the house. I am more than happy to be the number one to your number two. Thank you, number two. <laughs> <laughs> or your number one. I don't know. I'm confused now. Numbers were never my thing, evidently. Mm. Liam would be O. I was going to say, didn't you used to be a maths teacher? Used to be. Used to be. It's amazing how fast that stuff goes away, you know. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. Gimmickry with head sculpts. I remember the moving mouth plate on MP1, for example. uh, That was a big thing. Yeah, it's a very simple thing, but it was still like, it's amazing. That was a, that was a huge thing actually. When uh, hard to probably appreciate now, what a big thing that was! Like, oh my god, the faceplate moves! It was like mm. a huge, huge deal on that toy. Just for ages, it was like the kind of de facto go-to standout gimmick for that kind of thing. Like, I think if it happened now, it'd just be like, yeah, faceplate moves. That's cool. But it sort of moved on. It would be cool on a mainline toy, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be cool on a mainline toy, but I don't think it'd be as knockout, you know. But uh, yeah, there's tons of those sorts of gimmicks over the years. Even like um, swappable faces things is, is kind of ties into that doesn't it why do you think we don't see the movable mouth plate again like we, n- we never really see it do we it hadn't occurred to me i always think of it as one of the great gimmicks on a toy we never really see it on prime specifically or on toys in general Some transformers toys in general uh there are 
are some that do it, like some third party toys that I could name that do have it, specifically like having moving mouths and things like that. And some of the stuff like the movie masterpiece toys do it. So like Ratchet has a moving mouth, Ironhide does, the MPM toys. So it does happen. It does pop up sometimes. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a nice little thing. Some of the Beast Wars masterpieces as well, actually, Dinobot does things like that. Uh, so th- there are, yeah, there are examples of it that you see out there. Uh, I think it is a real nice thing because I think anything like that that means that you're not having to constantly swap faces, like Dinobot does come with swappable faces, but the fact that you can get a kind of bit of play value out of the face and the expression from something inherent in the design itself, I think is really nice. You mentioned swappable faces. I think one of the first examples I owned of that was animated Blitzwing. With right. three faces, and I thought that was a tremendous gimmick. And even though it didn't flip through the faces particularly smoothly, on that toy and also on, I think it was MP3, wasn't it? MP3 Starscream, where yeah. it was like a the rotating. inbuilt. Yeah. yeah. I found those to be pretty cool solutions. And obviously, nowadays, it's a lot more slick. And even though they're not all integrated, you've just got like MP36 Megatron is a great example of how easy it is to swap between the faces. Yeah. That integrated face swap thing has not gone away. I mean, like MPM. Again, the Optimus Prime, the the face kind of pulls forward, twists around and slots back into place. Um, and you don't have to remove anything. So there's no, uh, you know, there's no accessory as such. So that's that's a really cool solution. I like how that's done. Um, it's not too dissimilar to Starscream, actually, MP3 Starscream in that regard. Uh, but yeah, these days, Masterpiece is much more common, isn't it, to have tons of, like literally tons of faces in a in a little accessory yeah. bag or whatever. And this stuff has made it to mainline. Now you've got Studio Series 86 Hot Rod with the flip-down visor. So, you know, obviously that, I think that started with Alternators. No, uh, sorry, Kiss Players Rodimus. Classics, wasn't it? No, Classics doesn't have a nah. flip-down visor. It was the... No, does it not? No, it doesn't, does it? You're right. Kiss Players Rodimus was the first one who had no, it. No, 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 you're right, yeah. Clear one. You're right. And then obviously we had Alternators Rodimus who had it as well. And now we had MP9, which had a really lovely one. And I think they've basically got to the point where it's easy enough to implement it without too much hassle that we can have it on a Studio Series Generations class figure as we do with Studio Series Hot Rod. And that's a really lovely thing, having that visor on that toy even though there have been some damaged ones now and then. Took the face paint on mine. Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen when the face is painted. But actually, painted faces is a nice segue into another element of head sculpts and gimmickry, which is if the face is painted sometimes, uh, you think, well, that's that's a real bonus. But I think it was Kingdom Rodimus recently where someone removed the silver paint on the face and it was done in a more flat grey. And it's almost like the definition came out much better and it made for a nicer looking yeah. head sculpt. I, I saw that, and you know, I I'd never been quite convinced on that face sculpt. And I thought the toy itself looks nice, but the the face just never quite worked for me. And that flat grey, amazing, looked so much better. I yeah. thought, um, and it it is interesting sometimes when you think that actually the person designing the toy, you know, maybe doesn't have the final say on some of the finish or whatever, and they've designed it in a particular way. I guess it's like comic book line art, isn't it? Versus the the kind of final color that goes in. Sometimes you know it can make all the difference, and th- that was just a great example of it right there for me. And when you cover stuff in paint, it's going to sink into like little gaps and stuff isn't it sometimes so it will cover up certain details and it will soften them yeah 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 this is a great example yeah you can kind of really lose the definition of the face and kind of the, the i think in a way like if you take a facial expression as kind of a gimmick in itself you can kind of lose that a bit the one i was thinking of actually was you probably haven't seen it but tiger hawk from beast wars really lovely face design is that the one with the grimacing teeth which is yes. all in white and it just gets washed out basically it's white upon white it's got a visor like a greenish visor yeah. over the eyes which is cool but all of the 
the actual face definition is completely lost. And it's a lovely yeah. toy. I really like the toy, but the face is a disappointment. Not because of the way it's, it looks, but only because of the definition of it. It's completely nondescript. I wrote an article for TF Source Blog years ago on head sculpts, and I got contributions from people and asked them what their favorite head sculpt was. And Pior contributed that one, Tiger Hawk. Oh, did he? Yeah. Ah. And I really struggled to see the the details on that face and the, the photo he provided, but I could see the teeth, uh, but I couldn't really understand why he'd picked that. And I guess it must be one that you just appreciate in hand much more. But that was his choice for best head sculpt. I think it is, a, yeah. You, even in hand, man, it's, it's hard to read, but I would say I can understand why he's picked it in the regard that it is a decent sculpt in theory, but the actual practice of it is not so good. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, I don't know, I like the idea of it. I think the execution of it stumbles. I'm sure that when it was designed on a computer or however it was done at the time, back in the late 90s, I'm sure it looked fantastic. But it's the translation to plastic that hasn't quite worked in that instance. Yeah, and there are a few like, sometimes where they cover them in paint, but it's like you know, if they've got a visor as well, but it's all one colour. Like I'm thinking of yeah. G1 crosshairs, where his face is all blue, but you kind of lose the fact that there's a visor separated there. And Well, crosshairs is like the other two, isn't it? It's just a, it's an all white face. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all covering it, isn't it? So you don't see like mm-hmm. all of the detail there. Whereas if you pick that visor out a different colour, suddenly that whole face comes together differently. But when it's all one colour, it sort of masks it. Yeah, I think a lot of it is down to the finish and the paint and things like that to really kind of pick out the details. But th- there are also like faces that have been mangled over the years and things as well, aren't there? Like jazz and things like that. Oh, yeah. um, oh the poor G1 jazz. With the old smushed face. That's really not yeah. been done justice. Yeah, which one was that? Was it the... That was the, the book box TF collection reissue the one, of it. it. And then yeah. the eHobby Gold version had the same mm. kind of mess on it. And even the commemorative series release. So all three of those releases around the same period were afflicted with it until the Encore sort of fixed it. It was getting softer, wasn't it, with later releases of it anyway. Mm. It was getting quite soft. I can't remember if Ricochet and Stepper had the same problem when it was done. Better, I think. It must have been better. They must have sorted it by the... I think it's better. Uh, yeah, I have one of them. And I think it's better. I mean, you're, you're talking about face sculpts that maybe haven't been done well or elements of them that haven't worked or have deteriorated over time. We mentioned light piping a little while ago. One, one of the saddest things is a light pipe toy where the actual panel at the back has been painted over. So you can see the toy <laughs> was meant to have light piping, but it doesn't. And when it's done right, it just blazes through. And we talked about Rotorstorm and Scourge, but I'm guessing we're all massive fans of light piping. Oh yeah, it's one of my favourite things. I like a good face sculpt, but the light piping takes it to another level. Mostly when it's on a visor, I always find when they have like a hot pink visor or something like that. or Boss. Yeah, it just mm. looks perfect. Like the Turbo Masters head sculpt are some of my favourites, and it's, that light piping is so important to that. The funny thing about light piping for me was they really perfected it in that late G1 kind of Turbo Master era. I mean, toys beyond it as well, you know, like Clench and Pyro and those guys. And then it was almost like they had this lightning in a bottle, and then it's sort of never been done quite as well ever since. Like, I mean, I would extend it to Generation 2, which was where Scourge originates from as well, of course. But it's never, I've never seen it done quite as well as on those toys. Classic Megatron. Eh, that's a fair shout. That's a fair that's shout. Just- Recently, I've just been handling that next to my PC screen. And every time it's anywhere near the PC screen, the green eyes just blaze. And I just thought, yeah, that's a toy that does it absolutely brilliantly. And again, it has that same effect of presence and life. It gives the Mm. character life. It gives the head sculpt life. I could see that. I guess my only thing with light piping is that fantastic when it works, but it sucks when it doesn't. Yeah. As you said, when the back of the head's been painted over or when it's just, I don't know, it just doesn't work particularly well, it totally deadens the toy, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. You get dead eyes instead of painted eyes, which would have been better. And there are instances, there are toys, uh, and it's a bit the same with light-up eyes for me. Like I, as a general rule, 
am not so keen on light up eyes, but I do like it when it works really well. So like on a lot of three zero toys, the light up eyes are amazing, but they also don't look dead when they're not on, uh, which I think is fantastic. So whereas actually, you know, you do get particularly on a lot of third party examples, you know, nowadays you get light up eyes, but then if you don't turn the switch on or you don't have the batteries, the eyes are very nondescript. They almost just look blackened out. Yep. And the, the toy looks dead as a result. Um, and I almost always find myself not bothered to get that specific type of battery to, to operate them. Like I've got it on Meg Tirano from Fans Hobby. I mean, that's probably going to look wonderful with lit up eyes and Canon. I just can't be bothered to source the battery to do it. So it's got this exact issue that you're talking about. It's got dead yeah. eyes. Yeah. The thing is with like light up eyes is how often you're going to use it. It's a fun feature for the one second you switch it on and see it go, oh, that's cool. Because then when you put it on the shelf, you're not going to leave it like that. But the thing with light piping is it's not like it over time, but it's just a wow moment every now and then where you pick something up and you you just move it without thinking and light catches it. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. And it's, it's hard to replicate that with lights because you actively have to be yeah. looking to do that. It's the opposite with some that do it well. For example, I think yeah. it was QuakeWave or MP LaserWave. They had fantastic eyes. It's just a really simple switch and mm. I would just leave it on and then it would run out and then I couldn't be bothered to yeah. change it because it was it looked so good with the light switched on. Shockwave is, is great for that. It really did look good. I mean, that said though, the light piping on the MP LaserWave is really good as as well uh, mm. and i find it does catch the light nicely the one actually talking about masterpiece real briefly and it's not really light piping as such but made such a difference was obviously mp10 oh. where they inexplicably gave it dead eyes didn't they they gave it like yeah. like For the Takara surprise. release yes. yes and then hasbro repainted it and gave yes. it these really lovely vibrant painted blue eyes and it just looked terrific yeah. and it's funny how i would say that change overall generally speaking i probably prefer the takara version because it's like loaded in paint and looks really nice and the, the hasbro one is better red plastic for example uh, but the change in the eyes just makes all the difference to me and just takes it from what could have been the better version of the toy I think actually the Hasbro one gets elevated because of it yeah like I have the Hasbro MP010 and it's uh... <laughs> what even is that man <laughs> but I was thinking of like the Siege Optimus Prime the head they've done for that is probably my favourite Optimus Prime head they've ever done it's incredible but they did it in Netflix and they just added like uh, yellow to the eyes mm. and it's incredible whereas the other one they, it just looks dead because of again they now like to have that dark eye thing which I think comes from the, the light piping yeah I think it's almost like an attempt at light piping but not really isn't it and it, yeah. it's the same on the Earthrise one actually that I have where it would be like one critique I do have of that is the eyes are just very nondescript very plain and yeah. as you said if they had a nice little dash of yellow paint or something it would look amazing so I think there is absolutely an argument for painted eyes in my opinion I think it mm. I love light piping when it works, but at least with painted eyes, you know that you're you're guaranteed that they're going to look great all the time. Yeah. Do you know what the one I cannot get on with as well is chromed eyes? Really? Doesn't work doesn't work for me as well. Yeah, I yeah, know. Okay. Like a lot of fans toys figures have chromed eyes. Um and like fans hobby do it a bit as well. Uh, I'm just not a big fan. I like when again when it works, but the problem is is unless you have the head completely square on to your eye line, the two eyes are lit differently. Mm-hmm. They catch the light differently. And particularly in photographs, it can be a real mare, actually. So it's probably it's like a more of a photographer's complaint than anything. Um, but I do find it a pain in the bum, honestly, because like, you know, you tilt the head to one side and you can see one eye looks dead and the other eye catches the light dead on. It's a real a real bugger. I noticed something similar like that with the new studio series Wheeljack, the one based on the Bubblebee movie, where I took a photo and I noticed in the photos, one of his eyes looks blue and one of them looks green. Mm. And um when I looked at the toy, it's not like that. It's from the lighting, and it's just the way it captures the light. The way they're painted changes the colour. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Reflections mm. and stuff. But is it fair to say that if a toy is light-piped well, there is no problem with having a massive part of the back of its head just transparent plastic? Like That absolutely doesn't detract at all from it because of the uh, effect that it gives when done right. 
Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right. Well, who's looking at the back of the head anyway? But it's such a cool effect. And another question on the same kind of topic. How do we feel about coloured, for example, faces that are coloured in unconventional robot face colours, like green for Fangry or yellow for Quake or pink for Misfire? Love it, man. Love it. Fangry's a great example, that green face. Immaculate, honestly. I I would happily see more of that. I think it's like there's something about those late G1 designs that really kind of got into that. And I think, you know, they are robots. They don't have to be traditional colours of any kind. You can go crazy with it and get really colourful. And I, and I think that's brilliant. Yeah, green faces, whatever. Just go for it, man. Computron with his red face, you know, mm-hmm. under the visor. Yeah, it's Stuff cool. Like it's just unique as well to see. Because so often they're just silver. Yeah, I was actually thinking of tracks as well. How lovely the masterpiece tracks faces. Yeah. With a you know, white helmet, beautiful head sculpt. I think that's one of the ones they absolutely nailed by going I would agree. cartoon. Yeah. I really love that. Very striking. Yeah. And then Loud Pedal with its beautiful teal face mm. is another beautiful example. So yeah, all for that. He got the faceplate, didn't he, as well? He did, yeah. It was supposed to come with swappable. That was what the proto had, yeah, the swappable, but it was fixed for the final production. I wish the actual tracks had that as well. That's yeah. the thing I would like more is more swappable heads like that. Now we seem to just get the toy head a lot. Or... Well, the cartoon head, unfortunately, is, is, all, is all we get for yeah. tracks these days. Yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. We get the cartoon heads a lot, don't we, for everything now. Mm-hmm. So it'd be nice if they included the option. But then having said that, I found Masterpiece Sunstreaker to be really weird uh, with its cartoon face. It didn't look, it just had a massive chin on him. And I, I remember when I took a photograph from a lower elevation and it sort of cut off the bottom of his chin. It was gorgeous. And I thought, when they do this mold with a toy style head, it's going to be irresistible. And then they did Cordon and uh, Spin Out. And there was something not quite right about it with maybe it was the size. I don't know. Maybe it was the expression or it didn't quite sing. I don't know what it was. Like, Sixo, you own them both. Yeah. Do you think they're excellent representations of the G1 Sunstreaker head, which is one of the greatest head scups of all time? <laughs> well, it's a bit of a leading question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Kind of led. Is it as good as that in hand on the masterpiece? I think it does a good job at representing the original toy. Yes, to be honest. I don't necessarily think that the original Sunstreaker head is one of my favourites of all time. So in that regard, I'm very happy with the masterpiece take on Corden and on Spin Out. I think it does a it for me it does a good enough job. I really like it. But I also like the cartoony head on MP. Uh, Sunstreaker as well, MP39. Mm-hmm. I think it works. It looks like the cartoon to me and the chin, everything. I like it. But you know, I like the cartoony head on MP plus smokescreen. And I know mm-hmm. you're not so keen. And a lot of people really don't like that because they're like, whoa, chin. You know, it's got like a lot of chin. I mean, it does have a lot of chin, but, but I like it. I'm into it. You know, give me more chin. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't quite get on with the original smokescreen. I remember. Head either. You, you wrote I, an article about it. Oh, how sad. But yeah, it's a fact. I think I, ju- I just wanted it to look like he does in Megatron's Master Plan. That was the perfect smokescreen face to me. And I just really wanted the masterpiece to have that face. Yeah, I think, uh, the, the, again, maybe it's that thing we were talking about sort of towards the start, isn't it? Of, of almost like expecting something to represent what you want entirely. And when it's not quite close enough, it's, it's not, um, it's not ne- as there as it should be in your mind's eye. It's almost like it could just be a chasm away, isn't it? It, it doesn't work. Just de- describe why I haven't bought MP52, because everything about that toy looks absolutely bang on. But that stoic expression on the normal stock face uh, isn't just, it misses the mark that for me, it was the, the mouth was mouth. too wide. Yeah. But any sort of expression that him or the MP Thundercracker are pulling, they look amazing. Like, that's the one like but i can't have him displayed like that the whole time i wanted the stoic face to be perfect too and it's just such a massive investment that but i don't think i'm ever going to get a perfect one then like 
how are they going to do a better Starscream than this? It's just it's not going to happen, is it? That's just it. I mean, I've got to, got to tell you, I, I think that those faces on those toys really are great. Like, but I, I hold it up there with Megatron. Maybe not quite Megatron, but you know, in the same sort of echelon as Megatron, I think it's it's excellent. But that's uh, the thing. Why at... isn't it as good as Megatron? Because if Megatron can be so perfect, and it's not just like yeah, from ninety nine percent to a hundred percent is one percent. It's almost like it's another ninety nine percent that they've added. It's more than the sum of its parts in a way. It's a very weird analogy, but. There is. We keep coming back to we keep coming back to masterpiece Megatron as like the ultimate, and I think there must be a reason for it. I think it's just it's because it captures the cartoon in a way that it looks entirely faithful. Like you can just look at it and you're instantly like, oh, it's cartoon Megatron. But mm. and it is slavish, but it's not to the detriment of it actually looking like a nice Absolutely face. Right. Yeah. So it, it's aesthetically pleasing under its own steam, but it still also looks like this thing that you want it to look like. And I think sometimes with masterpiece. I think where people have an issue is where stuff goes, and, and WFC to an extent now as well, it goes so cartoon accurate, slavish, heavy, that actually it, it moves away from just looking nice by itself. Yeah. I know a lot of people felt that way about MP Grapple. Yeah, they did. Although, again, I really like that face sculpt. Yeah, it's so. nice. But, but then I thought the very best version of that was the MP Artfire head. I thought that was the absolute pinnacle. Yeah, that was a good those. one. Yeah. Because it also it had the reflective silver face, but it was a toy style face. And I just thought that's marvelous that toy remains a massive success in, in every way yeah i think with all of it isn't there there's an element of close enough that is either acceptable to you or it's not and yeah so in, in some it's how ways, much you care about the toy really in the face yeah maybe with something like starscream in a funny way the mp tries to be so close and so slavishly identical to it that it almost because it's not quite there for you just that little bit that it's missing it, it's almost like uncanny valley stuff isn't it it's it, yeah, it, like smokescreen yeah whereas if it didn't try as hard to be as spot on you you would almost forget yeah. it if like it mp11 and mp3 yeah 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 it's a funny old thing but then you've got prowl that absolutely nails it so mm, yeah it is it is a funny old business it's either beholder stuff all the way yeah smoke screens one i really wish they'd given a g1 toy style head because right. you know when you see like the uh the reissue box art where they use like Dreamwave art and stuff and you see he's yeah. got the toys eye and you're like just want that as well just as another option yeah it's a good point actually about the the box art because sometimes those faces and stuff man they just look so cool in the box yeah. art in a, in a way that very few toys could ever really live up to but it's like i don't think a perceptor has nailed it yet either i don't think any perceptor has been absolutely bang on no the new studio series one looks really good you think so yeah yeah i've yeah. got him his face looks really nice but i like the titans return one as well because it was something a bit different it was yeah it was nice i, I don't think that was going for bang on yeah. cartoon face there were some great head sculpts in, in Titans Return. Even though they were all headmasters, they still managed to create some of the best head sculpts I've ever seen. Like Titans Return Quake is exceptional. Yeah. That's one of the best head sculpts I've ever seen on a toy. And it's just a very basic head sculpt, but it looks, it's almost human. It's a very young human face, but they've, they've just, that's just so good. So I think we've got to that point in the episode where we're going to start reeling off our favorite head sculpts. And so as not to take up too much time, we'll maybe focus on one or two each and uh, then just list the rest. So Liam, do you want to start with your list of your favorite head sculpts in Transformers? Some of my favorites are the studio series Bumblebee Optimus Prime, that head. That's pretty cool. Uh, X-Pants, I thought that was quite fun. Uh... <laughs> Can never not hear it as x Pants. That's not what I thought you said. X pants. Yeah. yeah. That guy, he looks quite cool. He's got a you know a little lift up faceplate thing. He's a cool X pants. Former trousers is basically what yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> MP01. That's a right. that's a classic. Ah. Uh, Generation Select Black Zarek, another one. 
but that's but, nice. um, really really nice here. Yeah. Oh, also, um, Universe Sunstreaker. I thought of that when we were talking about oh, the yeah. masterpiece, and I, I would really like that kind of head as well for the masterpiece as an option. But um, two of my favorites are Turbo Master Flash. Ah. Mm-hmm. That is just a yeah. cool looking face. They've lent really into the Japanese super robot vibe with that. It's got like the yeah. Gundam like V crest thing going on. And it's that light piping is incredible. And that's just a wonderful toy anyway. But that face, that whole, all the Turbo Masters are great, aren't they? They've all got they amazing heads. Yeah. But my, my second choice is G1 Metroplex, which is uh, nice. I don't think gets like the credit it deserves at all. Mm. But I know we were talking about Crone face earlier, but when you look at that face, it's so cool. That whole, the big black helmet everything about it and it just feels big you know like metroplex has got that chunk but the face fits with that but it also it's very reminiscent of you know back in the 80s you used to get all the like diaclone style toy robots that your mates always had like the mm-hmm. little missiles and stuff and they're always like wow what's this not a transformer i think it's a really underappreciated face sculpt really weirdly metroplex that's a really good one because make toys did utopia and managed to make it look amazing there's the Goodbye Convoy poster where you've got all those beautifully drawn G1 Transformers. Then you've got Metroplex's head just in the back in the same poster. Yeah. And you just think, yeah, that guy has an amazing head design. And no, that's a top, top choice. Giant cannons on the side as well. Yes. They are. Just... That's a really good choice. Can I also just give a quick shout out to the G1 Dinobots? Because each of their individual robot modes are... Sludge, man. Yeah, yeah. sludge is it. It's, it's funny because I remember as a kid, you know, in, when it got to season three and it's just mostly were seen in dino mode. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, man, just, you're covering up those amazing robot modes, those heads. They're really cool school. Six hour. Uh, yeah, I've got a few that I, I noted down. A lot of G1, I'm going to be honest, but only because they're just some of the truly amazing head sculpts for me, just the kind of cleanliness of design. There's something about the, the look of a lot of G1 head sculpts that just appeals to me greatly. Uh, Stalker, I think, is amazing. It's a, it's a Soundwave archetype, but... I mean, it ended up being Soundwave and Machine Wars, didn't it? But you can see why. Uh, I just think it's exceptional. It's of that sort of face-plated visor design. Uh, it's just done so nicely. Beautiful light piping again. Really, really stunning. Sandstorm, I think, is um, a really good one. Very distinct. I always remember it as being quite unusual, but really love it. Inferno G1, I think, is immaculate. Honestly, mm-hmm. really lovely sculpt. Was re-sculpted, wasn't it, from Diaclone? The, the grapple was. The grapple, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I had to remember. I'm going to name uh, a couple of maybe unusual ones. Cliff Jumper, G1 Cliff Jumper, yeah, I think is. That was great shout. Beautiful head sculpt. Perfection. That, Absolute perfection, that one. That would be one of my top five, maybe. I'd like, I've not literally written out a list, but it's it's certainly going to be up there. Star Convoy, I think, is, you know, we're talking about Optimus Prime head designs, but I think Star Convoy for me is one that I look at consistently and I'm like, wow, that is a, that's a pretty, a pretty head sculpt, definitely. Really kind of up there. I already mentioned Galaxy Shuttle. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. Six shot. Another great shout. Um, and the other one that I will sort of pay particular attention to, uh, actually maybe maybe just two more. One is Sonic Bomber, which is probably one that maybe a lot of people maybe not be familiar with, but it is just such a stunning head sculpt, honestly. It's got, again, kind of really sort of super robot vibe to it with this like really cool orange kind of head crest that comes down the middle, like an orange sort of uh, stripe almost, but then these absolutely shocking green eyes which is just Mm. so out there and just looks phenomenal and then the final one which is probably my favorite or kind of up there certainly Uh, i'm a big fan of the g1 headmasters 87 headmasters as you guys know and i think brainstorm is the one that really takes it for me lovely The, the toy Yep. Uh, was always disappointed by the Japanese cartoon face for him, how they interpreted it with the mouth and everything. Just because I love the original toy and love the way it was portrayed, 
I, I didn't actually feel that the Rebirth cartoon quite got it either, you know, even though it kept the faceplate. And probably only really the Marvel comic, with like the way that Jeff Senior drew him in particular, I just thought was great and um, love it and would love to see that done justice at some point. What a great one to finish on. G1 yeah, brainstorm. Yeah. Great choice. Uh, a lot of mine I, I mentioned throughout the episode, and we've all mentioned like MP Prowl and MP Megatron, which I think are, are really beautiful. R.I.D. Bisque, I think, is quite hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lobster head. I just, it's fantastic to me. I have Human Alliance Jazz on here as well, because I think I just remember that toy had such a distinct and weird head sculpt, but still jazz. And on, on the theme of being different from the original inspiration, but still very obviously identifiable, one of my all-time favorites is Alternator's Mirage. Because that's uh, yeah. not your classic yeah. Mirage shape. It's so obviously Mirage. It's just, it's perfection. I have Car Robots JRX as well. I love old uh, glass dome head over there with a really cool humanoid face underneath. I love how his eyes come through the visor. Just a beautiful one there. I've mentioned Sunstreaker, G1 Rotorstorm, possibly one of the best head sculpts of all time. Yeah. Just does G1 perfectly. It does robot, pretty light piping, proportions everything perfectly and uh g1 highbrow i mean you were talking about brainstorm yeah. highbrow is one i really love i think I it's my that. favorite of those uh of any of the headmasters highbrow i love the colors that's a really nice one uh, and it's one i didn't really experience until an adult uh, being an adult and something about the light gray head and the white painted face compared to the rest of the toy which is very blue and the translucent red just is what, what a beautiful toy. And I don't think the anime version of that head does it any favors. Because even though the Titans Return had the really big red sunglasses eyes or blue, I just didn't like that. Which is why the fans project Browning 2 actually had a head that looked more like the G1 toy, which made that a really nice looking toy to me. So it's highbrow. I mentioned Sunstreaker. mentioned Generations Jetfire. But um, G1 Hot Rod. I, I think it was so nearly going to say it's it. the one yeah. it's just G1 Hot Rod I, I have a photo of him that I took and I, I cycle through every now and then to repost on Twitter maybe like an old photo or something that I've posted before and in my massive folder of pictures that headshot of uh, G1 Hot Rod always yeah. stands out is beautiful he's literally it's perfection right here next to me on my desk right now i was actually playing not with, with this copy this is my target master copy i was showing it to my boy the other day because he now has a g1 hot rod which he's um he loves really into and uh so we were comparing them and there was a lot of questions about why this why this one has a, a little gun and the other one doesn't and mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff but uh yeah he's, he's quite taken with it and i yeah i agree the head sculpt is phenomenal <laughs> That'll do it for head sculpts. We think uh, after last time, the three and a half hour RID and car robots marathon, it was best to keep this one succinct. And we've basically said all there is to say about head sculpts. We have a Patreon question from Chris Norris. And uh, this is one of the perks of our Patreon, being able to ask questions that we will answer on the pod. The question is, how important is show accuracy to each of you? I personally prioritize toy accuracy over slavish dedication to show accuracy, but then I was into the toys before I ever saw the show as far as G1 is concerned. And I think that actually ties into the topic we've covered today very, very well. So how important is show accuracy to you? It's a difficult one because it kind of guides my collected, but it's not, I think there's a separation between show accuracy and being slavishly accurate. You know, to like, like a lot of the masterpieces now, they look like the animation. Whereas if you go back to the Datsuns, they're cartoon accurate, but with other details in them, if that makes sense, it's a different style. And mine leans more toward that when, when I see stuff that looks more like the animation, I'm less into it. 
Yeah, I guess for me, it's kind of, I mean, it's a bit what I was saying earlier. I actually do like the animation look. I can understand why people don't. But, I, you know, I, I'm not someone that just collects one style. So to me, it is important and it's not. You know, like I, I do like the animation look and I do collect that in Masterpiece. And I'm very happy for that, particularly with stuff like Beast Wars. I think it's fantastic that it's like dead on to the cartoon. Uh, more than G1, actually, like I sort of prefer that. Um, but then equally, I do enjoy stuff that homages like the G1 toys and things like that as well. Uh, so I think it just depends. I, I'm not, I'm kind of up for different things in different styles, if anything. Yeah, for me, it's case by case basis as well. Like something like animated or car robots. I love how show accurate that is. But then at the same time, I collect classics and Henke, which doesn't subscribe to any one particular influence. Having said that, if they were to do a cartoon tomorrow, which included the classics aesthetic, I think if there was one major departure from one of those toys, it'd probably irk me a little bit. For example, if um, if the Mirage in the show had a very toy-style head, but then I've got this more cartoony-style head on the Classics Mirage toy, maybe that would bother me. But I collect enough of toy-based, nothing-based, and cartoon-based that I can obtain enjoyment, enjoyment from different toys for doing different things. So it's absolutely not the highest priority for me. At all. Just to sort of sum up my, my thoughts a bit more, I guess I was just going to say that like with G1 as an example, when you're younger and you collect G1, there's nothing else out there that looks like the cartoon. So it's almost like it's more important in a funny way because you don't have that ultra realized version. So when stuff like Braun or, or Ironhide or whatever doesn't look like it, maybe it's like more of a big deal. But then over time we've had, I mean, how many cartoon Ironhides now? So actually the fact that some of those original toys look so different, I think it's cool because it's then it's its own thing. And I think that's Absolutely. happening more and more to a lot of toys as time moves on, you know, yeah. and they're 20 years old or whatever they are, you know, that you can appreciate them more for just being their own thing rather yeah. than trying to... Like classics. You know, yeah. It feels like a lot of that appetite's been satisfied now, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Always wanting that to what it looked like on the screen. We've had it now, yeah. so you want some a different experience. Yeah. More legacy bulkhead, please. That sort of thing. Okay, and speaking of Patreon, remember you can sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash triple takeover. We have four glorious tiers, everything from just being able to donate one pound a month to get our eternal thanks and to help keep the lights on to being a Sixos butler where you can commission minisodes, exclusive minisodes where we will cover a topic of your choosing based on a list that we provided or voting in episode polls to help decide what we do in our main episodes and have your question answered just like we did on show accuracy. And one of the perks of being a Six Lows Butler is that you get a shout out on the show and we have more butlers than ever. Whoop it's whoop. one year in and the list is really, really long now. So hang on to your hats. I'm going to go through it now. A big thank you and shout out to Nick, Dean Watts, Danny Roberts, Chris C137, Andy, Preston, Brian Fox, Chris, Billy Ho, Spiderfather, Adam Shoemaker, Zachary Blader, Matt, Stephen Perkins, Bad Saturday, Justin Masaru, Dave Dalrymple, Absurd, Geo Kaiser, Yusufa, John Pearl, Cliff Saurus, Troisef, Anthony Cars, Alec Mir, Captain R.A., Phil G., Jonathan False Logic Howard, Jacques Pelletier, Alicia, aka Alicia Tron, Sam Highland, Stuart Webb, Amar, Laserbeak, Puma the Hunter, Mike S., Vegemite Mike, Peter Hammerson, Andrew Bentley, Shenry, Chris Norris, Jesse Moreno, Jackson Arwood, Yip, MK Tronic, and Michael Loyacono. Thank you guys. What a list. Wait, Laserbeak subscribes. No, no, Laserbeak. It's three Zs. Uh, 
Let's say, do you think he plays the podcast episodes back in Soundwave's chest? Well, you know, we can be vinyl tech and we can also have it on cassette. I mean, I've been trying to push that merch on, on 6.0 since oh, the beginning. Vinyl tech. You know, do you remember vinyl tech? Yeah. We could do it. Our we best could. selling episode. We could stick it on vinyl. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure that would sell like hotcakes. Vinyl does. Just look at Synthwave. Podcast vinyl? Yeah. Well, with all the music that Liam puts on the episodes. <laughs> we could have like Crockett's theme, a bit of Beast Wars theme tune. Oh, the triple takeover hot mix. Oh, man. Yeah. Mixtape. Little mixtape, maybe at Christmas for patrons. Yeah. And speaking of merch, uh, you can go to redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash triple takeover forward slash explore, where we've got multiple designs, everything from mask to our one year anniversary stuff to an actual 6 O's butler, an actual man in pig, and uh, poxy rockets, all sorts based on numerous puns and jokes that we've covered in the episodes that people have sort of found funny and mentioned to us on social media and people have been buying this stuff i got my own um, generation 2 omnibot glove box mug in the other day which i'm thrilled with so go there get some merch get leggings get stationery and then also want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for the evening of course we've got tfsource.com and gearforgeeks.co.uk as we mentioned earlier so you can check them out for loads of transformers pre-owned transformers third party the whole shebang and if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at triple underscore takeover and on Facebook at triple takeover or one word. And where can our followers find you, Liam? I am at Toybox Soapbox on anywhere there is an at. <laughs> I'm at 60TF on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. And I am at TF Square One on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully you didn't find our choices too hard-headed or cerebral. Either way, it's time for us to head off. So go ahead and get your noodle out of our face. like when my four-year-old says he doesn't know how to put on trousers well i don't <laughs> I'm not wearing any now <laughs> 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 <laughs>